That's about time you wore that hat I gave you over a year ago. Yep, I'm the host tonight, so I have to represent. What are you drinking? It's like a chocolate protein. Oh, like a like a Finnish muscle milk or something like that. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, all right, all right. But well, this all actually into- contains milk. Muscle milk contains no milk. <laughs> all right. Well, we got, we have a pretty unique podcast planned this week. Um, and uh, I think we should just drop that intro once I find it, because obviously I'm not prepared for this with that. You would think after 247 episodes, 46, 47. Yeah, this is two. No, this is this is actually probably episode 248 by the time this comes out. So you would think that I would know where the uh, my uh, intro would be. But here we go. Welcome to the No Name RC Podcast. Get ready for some serious bench racing. But be warned, we speak our minds, express our thoughts, and sometimes things can get a little rowdy. Hate, and he just was influenced by the hate coming from the left, the hate coming from the right. And let's get back to more club racing and less of this grabbing it's hard not to be arrogant when you're always right. You know? See what I mean? That's exactly why people call you arrogant, Max. You may not agree with everything we say, but it's definitely worth a listen. And our pick, can you stop whatever you're doing? Join your host, Leslie the Great, with co-hosts and guests as they get together <laughs> to chat our city. Hey, after that race that I watched this morning, I have to talk about it. Yes, 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 indeed. Nitro's the glory, but e buggy pays the bills. What's going on, everybody? I think this is going to be show 248 by the time it gets out because I still have to do a live with Barry Baker, record with Max about the Euros. And then by the time this comes out, I'll be at Wicked Weekend. But thank you, everybody, for joining us. JQ is here somewhere. He just disappeared. I see him in the background on the camera. He's supposed to be prepared for this. He's actually the host tonight. He's going to be uh, the interviewer. And uh, But yeah, uh, thank you and welcome to episode number 248. We're about two shy of 250, which is a milestone. I'm very proud to say that we got to 200 or getting to 250. We haven't got there yet, but it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, all that good stuff. Uh, I want to say uh, thank you to everybody out there, the NNRC squad around the world. Without you guys, none of this is possible. So thank you for the support. Thank you to the patrons and the uh, YouTube members. I greatly appreciate it as well, your support. Also, just a quick uh, thing, we, we finally hit 4K on YouTube. Uh, as I'm recording this, we hit it yesterday, I believe, or the day before. We're recording this on the Wednesday, the 19th of, of uh, July. So I know 4K in the big YouTube world is not a big number, but for us, it's a big number. We, we, we have three, four, five-hour podcasts on her. We're not short form. 
uh, stuff. It's not like a five minute video that's going to, you know, get 20, you know, 1 million views. But we do appreciate it. We're a hardcore racing podcast. We talk about RC racing. I think the numbers should be better. Hopefully they are. If you can, go hit that sub, that like, that notification button on YouTube. If you are listening to us on a podcast, our podcast numbers, audio is still uh, still very good. Uh, still a lot of people just like to listen to the podcast. Uh, leave a review wherever you're listening to us on a podcast app. So thank you, guys. Uh, next up is 5,000 subs. Help us get to there by the end of the year. We have six months. Roughly. No, five months, five and a bit. So I need 1,000 subscribers by the end of, we do a 1,000. If we get 5,000 by the end of the year, I will do a 5,000 sub giveaway. I have no idea what it's going to be. But anyway, guys, I would also like to say thank you to the awesome uh, companies that support the podcast. We can't do without their support as well. Uh, If you guys can, we have links for all of these guys in the written description of this podcast. We have some affiliate links we have some coupon codes where you can save some money and some just have links if you buy them from a company that just has links leave in the notes a note saying hey i heard about your company on the no name rc podcast they are invisiblespeed.net high tech rc sun pedal usa sidewinder fuel Mayako, beach rc techno rc clinic rc ignite design rc bringing gas truck back racecraft usa stacked rc shout out to cow rc uh shout out to wrce my boy Danny Pass went down to Puerto Rico, did a good job down there. House of RC, RCGP, and shout out to our drivers, David Ronafalk, Robert Batty, and Alexander Hackback. I, I mean, I, I want to say Jared Tebow, but he's a little mad at me. So I don't know if he's a driver anymore, but I still love Tebow. He's my boy. That's Tebs. I'll give him a big hug when I see him at Wicked Weekend. Uh, but yeah, this week, the podcast is going to be an interview of me. Uh, and I am going to be the interviewee, and JQ is going to be the host. I'm going to bring him in now because I want to talk to him. What's up, JQ? Eating. Chocolate. You are not allowed to have this. I am. Yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good with Crunch. my eating habits. It looks good. It looks good. Uh, so, JQ, thank you for this. I've been, I've been bothering you to do this for about a month now. Uh, I got the idea that, I mean, I interviewed you, I think it was last year, and I think it was good, well-received. Uh, we got to see a different side of you. And I wanted to interview myself, right? So by the time this comes out, it should be my birthday. So it's the 19th. I go, uh, my birthday is on the 29th. I'll be at Wicked Weekend. I go 45 years old, right? I'm getting fucking old, right? I'm looking at my beard. It's all gray. It's it's a bit shaggy because I haven't gotten a shave or a haircut this week. I mean, until before I leave next week. But I was like, man, I'm getting old. Uh, there's a, there's maybe people out there. There's people out there that probably know my story. But there's a lot of people that don't know my story. And I think I have a, a pretty interesting story. It's it's a little bit abnormal for most people. And you have been a big part of my story for the last six years. You know me from the RC side. We've been good friends. And I just kind of wanted to have my story out there. Maybe it will inspire somebody. Maybe somebody would learn something from it. Inspire yeah. someone not to get into RC. Yeah, that too. Not to get into RC. And also, not even that. Like, you know, I'm, I, I hope any, anything can happen, right? You know, I'm 45 years old. You know, I would love to have my story documented. Maybe, you know, it, it's just, I just wanted to do it, right? It's been an awesome six years of six years in RC. My life's been an adventure for the last 17, 18 years. <clears throat> so 
I kind of wanted to tell that. And I thought the best person to do that with is you. So you finally got out of being pissy Q. And now I got you to do it. So I greatly appreciate you coming on and um, doing this for me. So um, enough of me jibber jabbering. I'll let you take it over. And uh, we go ahead. This is the uh, episode 248, Lefty's Interview. Okay. I uh, lost myself. There we are. Okay. So I have two rules. Okay. Okay. I'm the host now. You can stay on that side. That's fine by me. My rules are, we are not going to cover how you got into RC. Okay. Because everyone always does that. So how did you get into No one cares. I do. No one gives a shit. I do. No. You always get angry no. at me when I ask people you, that. You, yeah, I know. So that we're not covering that. <laughs> and then since I'm the host, now if I talk, then you don't talk. Okay. That's the second rule. Okay. Anyway. Uh, good to have uh, those two rules out of the way. Um, I guess this will be fun because you will be doing most of the talking. I'll just uh, point you in the right direction when you get lost. And another thing, try to finish your sentences, okay? <laughs> you have a thought, finish the thought, actually say the thing to the end, then move on. Also, don't uh, say something and then immediately back it back down, like, um, qualify it somehow. Just say it. Make a statement. Okay. And uh, I, I guess that those are the only comments I have for now. We'll we'll think of more as we go if needed. But anyway, so to start off your story, I read this somewhere online, and it was a comment or a caption or a meme or something, and it said that when I was a child. I thought that the Bermuda Triangle would play a much larger role in my life. And I, I felt the same. Like, I knew about the Bermuda Triangle, and I always thought that it would play a larger role in my life, and it would be like this dangerous thing in my life. But the only link to the Bermuda Triangle I have is you, because you're from Bermuda, right? And Salty Joe. Uh, yeah, Salty Joe now also. So... Let's start by figuring out what is the Bermuda Triangle? What do you know about it? And uh, why didn't it play a larger role in my life? Because I always thought it would. So the Bermuda Triangle is a triangle that goes from Bermuda to some say Fort Lauderdale, Miami, to Puerto Rico, and it forms a triangle, right? So it's called Bermuda Triangle. Apparently, there's been ships and stuff that have disappeared. There's, there's, there's stuff that disappeared that has no... There's, there's been some scientific explanations, stuff like that. But, I mean, I guess nobody really knows. We've, I've heard old fishermen tales of guys going out to, you know, because Bermuda's in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of the Atlantic. It's far so off the bat. People always think Bermuda's in the Caribbean. It is not. It is, it is actually closer to, it's 700 miles off the coast of North Carolina. It's probably closer to Europe than it is to the Caribbean. It's probably, you know, it's like a four-hour flight to England from Bermuda. It's an hour. You can probably get to New York in an hour and 30 minutes from Bermuda. So we're very north. It gets cold during the winter. It doesn't snow. And we're just in the middle of the Atlantic. So we are not in the Caribbean. I am not of, you know, that's one thing. I, we are not there. It's, it's a big misconception. Um, I don't know, man. Old fishermen say that they go out. They've been out very far out 
you know, miles and miles offshore in Bermuda and the compasses go wrong and stuff like that or start acting up. So who knows, really? But obviously something has happened and there's documented, I assume there's documented cases of airplanes going missing and boats going missing. So something's happening. Nobody knows. It could be aliens. So when you were a child, were you afraid of the Bermuda Triangle? No. No? So it's something that only affects people who don't actually live there, maybe, yeah, possibly. Yeah, I don't, you know, we, being as Bermuda is so small, 20 miles long, one mile wide at its widest point, from a young age, we're traveling, right? So we kind of have to fly. I mean, when you fly, I guess, I don't know. Do we fly through the Bermuda Triangle? I don't know. It seems like planes all go around it. I, I don't know. Could be something. I'm trying to share the a map, but it's not working. Why? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you're not a host anymore? I don't know. All right. Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. Let's bring it up. Yeah, there we go. There's Bermuda for you. Yeah, so there's Bermuda to Miami to Puerto Rico. So how I was... Mean, how was life on Bermuda? It's the most expensive place on earth, right? Isn't yes. It? Yeah, it's uh I mean it is now, but Bermuda is Bermuda was fun. Back when I grew up, it was a lot of fun. I come from a, a part of Bermuda called St. David's, which is the very eastern end of Bermuda. And it's like an island until itself. We get we get teased a lot. Like, you know, we get teased about being like you know, because back in back in the day, in my grandmother's day, it was not connected, right? You had to catch a boat to go over to the other islands. It's got it's got a bridge connecting it to the rest of the island, but it's also uh, where the airport is now and all that type of stuff. Uh, we had the navy base there, so Bermuda. Growing up in Bermuda was a lot of fun when I was younger. You know, we we kind of like when I was in my teens, we we had Super Nintendo and stuff like that, but it wasn't a big deal. It was like, hey, we wanted to ride pedal bikes, uh, race pedal bikes off hills, uh, go swimming every day. We would like when we was we would have summers off during the summer. We would wait until like the tides came in, and we wouldn't we wouldn't we don't go swimming at beaches. We would go off the rocks, like you know, jumping off cliffs and and um waiting for the tide to come in. And we would spend all day doing that. And in fact, like I remember back in the day, we would uh so where I live, there's all the all these all, all these other little islands. So we would go like a big group of us. We'd swim from, not when I say swim, yes, we're swimming across ocean to an extent, but not like open ocean. It's like, just imagine like it's a, yeah, it's ocean, but it's not like swimming across without seeing it. It's little Aren't islands. There, we would, excuse me. there sharks there? Yeah, yeah, there's sharks there. Of course, it's the ocean. <laughs> it's sharks there. So we would go in big groups and swim to like one little island, walk across it. Jump in the water, swim to the next island, and we would go over to. Um, I remember doing this so much. Like we would go over to the main island, not the main island, but uh, it was another island called St. George's, and there used to be a channel, a cut, that a man-made cut where the cruise ships to come through. So we'd go over there, and the cliffs were real high and it was deep, and we swim over to get to there to that side, just to go jump off those cliffs, like, and then swim back home. And I'm pretty sure there was lots of sharks in that cut, but I mean, we was young and. 14, 15, and we would do that. And it was just fun. Like we would ride our paddle bikes to different neighborhoods at night, like across, you know, like not like going like a couple of blocks. I would use blocks. I mean, like literally going to another whole area, ride our paddle bikes over there, 
go socialize with the other the other guys and, and girls that were our age. Like paddle bike racing was a big thing, like downhill paddle bike racing. Um, we would go like on a Sunday, we would go as a, a group of guys who would go to Coney Island, which is where the motocross was. So that when they had motocross, we'd go there. We were like 20, 30 of us all on paddle bikes. And we'd meet up with other guys. And we'd go watch that all day. And we'd be riding home. We'd stop at the dump. And there was a dump that used to get, they used to throw all this stuff away. Like we'd go looking for bike parts and stuff like that, you know? Like to fix up our paddle bikes or anything. Like you never knew what you'd find at the dump. That was our routine on a Sunday. Like do that. And that was so much fun, right? That was um a part of life that's missed now, I think, in Bermuda because it wasn't like our parents went out and bought bikes for us. We had to put them together, right? And it was, it was just a a very good time being a teenager, you know? And then we would be like hanging out up on the hill with all the older guys. They were up there. So it'd be like the older guys, and then we'd be racing our pedal bikes. It'd be like our crew of younger guys and the older guys. And then obviously as I got older, I became one of the older guys that was hanging up there, and the other younger guys are there. And also in Bermuda, when you go 16, you can't, you don't got a car license. You got a, a license for a 50cc bike, right? And that's like freedom. So you get that bike, and like you, like it's, it was, I don't know so much now, but it's a very big bike culture. So you got a bike, and you all you want to do is make that thing as fast as possible, right? But that was you, a bad idea for you. N- no, I was. I'm actually a very good rider. I am a very good rider. We'll get into that, right? But that's probably I, the next thing. First of <laughs> yeah. all, without telling us how you got into RC, did you do RC before or after your accident? When before did you start. Before. Before. Okay. Yeah. So you have driven an RC car with both arms functioning. Hmm. Yes, I even I even traveled a few times to America to race and all that stuff. Okay, so you already you already discovered the hobby. You went into it, um, raced some in America also. Yeah, that's why I met a RC? lot of people. Why um, RC? What's so special about RC then? I think because as because in Bermuda we 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 don't have uh, boats. I, I would say boats got me into it first. RC boats because that was big. It's still big in Bermuda and. I would drive across and see those guys like racing the RC boats. And I'd like say, mom, mom, I tell my mama, Hey, let's stop. I want to watch it. And then my neighbor down below, he was, he had a, he's passed away now. It's not, it's not the story. Yeah, it is the story. Why RC? Why RC? Uh, not how you got into RC. See, okay. Sorry. Yes, I did go. So I would say why RC? I think the ability to control something remotely really appeals to me. So even at that early stage, after you discover, discovered it, did you read all the magazines? Were you all into it already then? Yeah, but I, so when I got the magazines, I was like 13, 12, 13. There was no racing in Bermuda, right? It was just, yeah, we would get a magazine. Magazines weren't cheap. We're talking about like, in this time, $7, right? That's what I would go. To, so I would literally read the magazine while my mom went shopping. Then I'd beg her to finally buy it. And then my buddy, my buddy Weldon, who isn't into RC now, but he's still, we talk every day. Uh, he, we kind of got into it and he had some RC cars and I got a Kyosho Ultima. And then we had another group of guys that had some cars. We had a little RC club in high school and we would just geek. Like, I, I don't know how many times 
we read those magazines and then it would be like, get the magazines all the time. So it was just magazines, right? Magazines. And so you followed the racing in America because of the magazines or yeah, also yeah. Europe? Yeah. Yes. I mean, anything that was in the magazine, I followed. So car action. Car action. Whatever. And then eventually it was like extreme RC, RC cars. And then when the internet came around, it was like reading things on the internet. Okay, so that's then why you wanted to go to race in America, I assume, because you had seen it in the magazines and well, that was RC later tech online and all that. Yeah, that was that was later in life. I would say when I was out working. So in Bermuda, we graduated at sixteen. Uh, from at that time, we graduated high school at sixteen, and then I just started working. I was working at my my local gas station pumping gas because that's still a job in Bermuda, like pumping gas. And I would work there seven days a week, and I would uh. I was, that's kind of like, then a buddy of mine, we kind of, I kind of rediscovered RC because I put it down for a while. And then um, when I started working, I was like, oh, my boy, my, one of my other boys, Mills, he got into it. And then I got back into it. And then he, we got eight scale cars. No, actually, sorry. We got 10 scale electric cars because they had a track, uh, a small 10 scale track, not far from, I remember, this is funny, right? So I had like a scooter. I used to take my grandmother's scooter, which she had an old Honda lead. 50 cc and it had because the scooters had the floorboards right so we're the track that we went to didn't have no electricity so i'd take a big car battery right we would go up there it would be me and my boys we, we'd go all on bikes we'd go up there carry all our rc stuff up there it's about a 10 15 minute ride 10 15 mile ride took about 20 minutes 30 minutes and we just go around and do laps on this track right and then we, to charge our batteries we just hook up our we had those old those teakin chargers We'd put those, you know, just put the alligator clips and carry that battery. And then I would take that battery back to the gas station that week and charge it up. So we had a battery for that to use. So I remember that was my first time not getting, going on a track, you know, two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. You know, I don't think we actually, we may have had some little races and stuff like that, but it was still, there was no transponders. There was nothing like that. It was just like maybe hand coning and, uh, I remember it was just a tiny little track up there at Spanish Point. And we would go up there and it was just, that's like where we could jump and all this type of stuff. And then that's like kind of when I started getting into it again more. And yeah, then like we kind of just went crazy. It was like fifth scales and then well, eight. I remember my first eight scale was a Mugen MBX4 and Nova Rossi three port with the green head. Didn't know what we was doing. Just got them and didn't have a clue. Then I realized I needed better servers. Oh, man, let me spend some money. But I'm young, right? I don't have to pay no rent. I don't have to do nothing. I'm making, you know, I'm making five, $600 a month. Oh, sorry, a week at this job. And that's in that time, that's good money. Let's talk about like 97, 98. And then I was traveling too. So I, that's when I also, uh, 16, 17 is when I first came here on the, to the DR, like my first trip to the Dominican Republic and saw like, you know, pro- saw like just an entire different style of life. Uh, prior to that, I had only been to Canada and, and America for trips. But when I came here, like Puerto Rico and then her, I was just like, well, I had never seen a place like this. So, you know, basically at 16, 17, I'm out. I'm a, like, that's considered a, a man. Obviously, 18 is the legal age to, to be a man. But, you know, I was still just working and just doing whatever, like working. It was working. It was RC. It was bikes. 
you know like so did you have other hobbies that competed with rc or could have bikes. taken over or was it always just rc no no it was bikes because i put rc down quite a lot then it was like got into bikes like motorbikes and i had about 10 of them at one point 10 different ones and then we was we would fix them up and then we i was like me and my boys we had a mechanic shop it's called hot wheels and my boy is really good at setting up bikes then i had a I had like a, a bike that was really fast, had a lot of title. Salty Joe would even even Salty Joe remembers it. And um I couldn't race it. I was too fat. It had to have somebody small on it. So they would race it. And then I would have like a like a DT, which was like a Yamaha like trail bike almost. 100 cc and we set that all up. Man, that thing was fat. I think it was like 85 miles an hour. I used to be able to wheelie that thing from here to wherever. And I was just crazy on a bike. Like I'm just crazy. Like, and just bikes, like that was my thing. Like, you know, just bikes and going fast and um, trying to go as fast as I can around corners and all that. Just was just like, just that's just, that was like bike life, bike culture in Bermuda. Not big bikes, not big bikes like people think because, us, you know, we can't have them here, but have them there, but just into modifying these two stroke bikes and enjoying it. So that took over. Um, that took over RC for a long time. Always RC was still there, right? But I never really focused on it. And then also it was like bikes and partying because then I went 18. I was going out before 18, but then 18 was like, yeah, you know, and then it, it was like partying. So I partied a lot. Okay, so bikes and, and uh, parties, and that is a perfect segue into your accident because both were involved, were they not? Oh uh, yeah, but that was many years later. I was uh I was out partying one night. December first, two thousand and five. Out partying one night and decided to come home. And believe it or not, this is just on a regular bike, like on a scooter. It wasn't on one of the super fast bikes. It was just on a scooter. I was a fireman. So I had worked really hard to become a fireman. I've had some interesting jobs too. So I had I worked my ass off to become a firefighter. I was an airport firefighter and um, I got to the job and I was just like, wow, this isn't really what I wanted. Like 16 hours at the airport. It was an easy job. It was freaking easy. Dude. 16 hours at the airport and you had two days off and you didn't really have to do much. Maybe a drill, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, when, when and I was also a volunteer fireman as well. So, But you wanted to be a structural firefighter. But I realized like, oh, I'm not really happy at doing this. So I remember just out one night drinking, partying, like what I did any other time. And yeah, I just came down the road a little too fast, misjudged a corner and struck a ball. And? And I remember when I struck the wall, I remember when I was flying through the air, I was like, you stupid asshole, you just hit that wall. It wasn't really a wall. It was more like a fence. But it was actually like, imagine, like, you know what a four by four piece of wood looks like? A four by four. It was like that, but it was concrete with rod. And then I hit that. I busted that thing all up. Right. And I remember flying through the air and saying, you dummy, you just hit that. How did you do that? Right. And then um, I remember when I landed, I landed in the middle of This is about two, three in the morning. And I was like, all right, I got to get up. <laughs> right. And I couldn't feel my arm. So I was like, Hold on, is my arm still attached? Because all I felt was pain, right? And I, it was wintertime, I had a big jacket on. So I was like, maybe my arm's off, right? But then I kind of shook myself, and then it was it moved. But when I got up, dude, like, 
if you're going to imagine, like I so said, this is the arm that's messed up. This was just hanging. Like, you know, just when I got up, my hand was hanging pretty, like if I'm standing up straight, my hand was pretty much down by my knee. Right? So I'm like, uh-oh. I get up, I kick all the parts of the bike out of the road. I'm like, I got to get out of here before anything happens, right? Before the police come or anything. It's, it was just a, it was just a road in like a, a older road, like, you know, a road that wasn't too traveled. So I picked the bike up. <clears throat> I don't know. The bike was actually missing part of the front wheel. The bike started. The bike started. It was missing part of the front wheel. And I actually rode it about a mile away from the accident. And I remember I called uh, one of my, my, my ace girls, one of my friends. She's a, she's a female. And I said, like, hey, look, I just had an accident. I need you to come pick me up. And she brought my mom. And I was like, you know what? I am going to go to the hospital tomorrow. I'm fine. I'm going to go home, sleep this off, and I'll go to the hospital in the morning or tomorrow. You know, because you know, I had been drinking, right? And my mom's like, no, you're going to the hospital. No. And when I got to the hospital, they were like, yeah, I just, we, you're going to have to go to Boston. Like, you're going to have to fly, you're going to have to get flown out to Boston. And that's what happened. Like, so about three days later, they, uh, they air ambulance me out to Boston. I went to Leahy Clinic. And uh, at operation. So basically what I done was when I hit. Uh, so this, I broke my clavicle. I still have the, the rod in there. I probably should have got taken out many years ago, but I haven't been back. And then when I, this part, my scapula pulled out. So I pulled out of all the tendons, all the muscles. And when I did that, the doctors mean like I stretched my nerves like that. So imagine like pulling an elastic band too hard and it doesn't go, never goes back to, how it's supposed to. So that's what happened. And he was like, well, you didn't cut any nerves. You didn't, you didn't damage any nerve. You didn't, you know, we can't find any cut because they went in and checked all of that out, but that's the only thing we can think. And there's like, well, your nerves regenerate at one centimeter a year. And there's like, I don't know how many feet of nerves right there. So they were like, it can come back or you're going to have to probably get an operation at some point. And I was just like, well, you know, I kind of, I remember just being like, you know what? I wanted a break from everything. Well, I got it, right? Because at that point, I had been working since 16. I'm like 27, I think, right? 25, 27, I think. And I had been working since I was 16. And I was, you know, I was just like, you know what? I'm I'm not happy with what's going on her. I'm going to, and I, I just looked at it at a, at a different way than, oh, where is me? My arms messed up. I looked at it as well. I asked for a break. Here I got it, right? And I was still being as, as a firefighter. And it, I must admit, I have to say that I was so fortunate that the insurance was so good on that fire, on that, on, with that firefighter job. I'd have to pay for none of that. That was all covered if the insurance, like, ambulance me from Bermuda to there was $25,000 on itself, right? And, uh, Luckily, I was able to get like two thirds of my or three, three, two thirds or three quarters of my paycheck because, you know, I, I couldn't go back to work. Right. So uh, I think I just kind of sat around Bermuda for a little bit and healing up because it took me a while. Now, look, dude, you don't to, until you something goes missing, you don't you don't realize how much you use both arms. Right. So imagine this. I'm walking around with a sling and it's got a big pillow like this. Right. So I can't do nothing. Like, I can't do nothing with my left arm. I'm still in pain. I remember, like, the first couple of weeks 
outside of the job. I couldn't even walk straight because my equilibrium was off and all this stuff. But just think of simple, something as simple as getting out of bed was so hard to do because you use both your arms, right? Then I couldn't fasten my pants. I couldn't tie my shoes. I, you know, all this type of stuff. So I had to learn all of that all over again. I'd have help too. People had to fasten my pants at a time, my shoes, all that type of stuff. So um, there were some people, I got a girlfriend, she helped me out. And then I had, you know, my mom helped me out. So they, but I eventually learned did, how to do all that she, stuff. Did she cut your steak also at the restaurant? Yeah, yeah, they had to cut my steak. She had to wash my armpit too. Yeah. So nice. That was, that was that. But I think I didn't, I didn't, I never, at that point, I never really, I was like, yeah. You went out, you, it was your fault, completely your fault. This is, you know, but you wanted a break. What are you going to do? I even went back. I even went to work a little bit, you know. My cousin had a little bodega, a little shop in the neighborhood. I went down there and worked because I was bored, right? I was just bored. So I went worked down there. And then, uh, yeah, I was just working down there. And then I, and I just was enjoying life still, you know. I just kind of like, yeah, I need a break. Was enjoying life. Was uh, went back riding bikes. You know, riding on the road with one hand and just front brakes because, you know, I had my, my cousin's scooter and I didn't have the back brakes on this side. I didn't have foot brakes. I'm just using front brakes. And, yeah, just driving manual cars because we drive on the right side, right? So I couldn't use my arm. So I'd shift gears. Like, I put my knee in the steering wheel and I'd shift with my right hand and come back over. So it was it was fun. I wouldn't say it was fun, but then I started, I kind of started, you know, I'd have to work. I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to chill. I'm going to chill, and then I'll see what, what life has for me, right? Is and that then, when um, you started uh, to get more into RC again? No, I actually was really, so I was really heavy into RC when this happened. I had just come back from being in the States for a month. I had been in the States for a month racing. I went to the Offner race. That's when I met like Chad Bradley, Josh Wheeler, all them guys, Paul Coleman. Then I went, I went, hung out at, uh, I went to a race at Sumter. I stayed with this girl I knew in, in, in South Carolina, stayed with her. And then, you know, kind of parted in South Carolina for a bit. Then, like, I had some friends from North Carolina, Glenn Harrison and Pete Worth and Glenn's son, Glenn Jr. Like, hey, we're going out to the RC Pro Finals in, at Sun Valley. And I was like, you know what? I'm here. I might as well go. And then I remember I bought a ticket, uh, flew to, Flew to Burbank, got to Burbank, dude. This is this is like when internet's just kind of, you know, it's just, no, we don't have no smartphones and nothing like that. And like every hotel sold out, we're all sharing a room. And, you know, we I remember driving around trying to find a room with them guys. And it was like me, Pete, Glenn, and his son. And we, we just kind of did that RC life for a week, you know. And I met like, um, I had met, that's when I met a lot of people. And, you know, I got to go race at Sun Valley, right? That was like the... RC Mecca at that time, you know, and Steve Dunn had it. He went there, had the on road track, the off road track. I met the Ghani there for the first time. Um, I met Jamin J. Housley at the Offner race. So he called me and it's like, it's like, Keenan, you went stay at some girl's house. Then I said, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, well, you're crazy. And then he gave me some wheels that I needed for my truggy. I ran truggy too. That's when the Jamin truggy had just come out. It was fun. It was fun. And that's what was like my first California race. And uh, I flew back to North Carolina, uh, went back to South Carolina, picked up my stuff, and I flew home. And then about a month later, I got in my accident. So then what happened after that? 
I sold all my RC stuff. Rehab, sold RC, and is that when you moved to the DR? I remember selling all my RC stuff because I was like, I'm not going to do this. I had a lot of stuff. I had fifth scales. I had a a plane and I've even opened boats, on-road, off-road. I had had like three different kits. I had a Bermuda practice car, a Bermuda race car, and a car just to go to the States with at one point. Like complete cars. Now, you guys got to understand, like this is Bermuda. We're making, we make good money. I don't have no responsibilities. You know, I don't have no children. I don't have no real bills. I got a good job. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making good, I'm making decent money, right? <clears throat> so I sold all that stuff. I think like some of the guys still have some of the stuff to this day. Like my boat still around. Uh, and then I remember I was just sitting at the barbershop one day and we got talking about Dominican Republic. And one guy was like, yeah, I'm getting down there for Easter. And I was like, yeah, man, I haven't been down there since I had, by this time I had been traveling. I had traveled to Dominican Republic quite a few times. And I stopped going, I think, like 1998 when I went 21. I was able to go to the States and legally go out and party. Because that's what it was, it was party. Like, I was just about partying and having fun, right? And uh, I started going to the States to legally, you know, because I could legally do that. And I stopped going to the Dominican Republic. But my uncle, who's, he kept on coming. So I remember sitting off at the at the barbershop. You know, barbershops, you, you might wait two hours to get your haircut. And the guy was talking, yeah, I'm going down there for Easter, man. I was like, you know what? I haven't been down there for like, seven years i should i should go down there and see what my uncle's like my uncle had moved her so i remember that day after i got my haircut i went home and i bought a plane ticket and i was like i saw the guy a couple of days i said yeah man i'm going on for easter i came on for three months up here on the north coast fell in love with the place fell in love with a girl and then um i think i went home and i went back to Lehi clinic where they told me, yeah, your arm isn't working. I said, thank you. I know it's not. And I went home. I got, I maybe got like 10 grand from the insurance company as well. I don't know. I can't remember what that was for, but I got that and I was still getting my, my monthly salary. And I, I just packed all my stuff in two bags and I've been here ever since. That was 2006. 2006. So yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm so slow. I can't do math. That You're was coming up on 17, yeah, yeah, 17 years ago. Yeah. So 20th anniversary in another three years. Yeah, everybody said I'll be back in six months. So how come you stayed? Because I I, I fell in love with this place, right? And then it was more partying. <laughs> then it was more partying, you know? And um, eventually that money stopped coming from insurance. I had a few businesses on her. The first thing I did was like an internet cafe bar. Then that kind of slowed down when, you know, people just at that time, we're talking 2006, still internet wasn't nowhere near as easily as available as it is now. So internet cafes and all that stuff was a big thing. And then that kind of phased out. I had some like scooter rentals, um, a tow truck at one point, but none of that really caught on. So it was always like, hey, you know, always just, you know, plus, Fortunately, I was able to rent my apartment in Bermuda, right? So that's really what sustained me while I was here. Was the apartment rental and then whatever little bit of money I made from the business. But eventually that all got kind of just it just like it just got too like it just wasn't making money. So I had to stop all the businesses altogether. I kind of just let the rent money live. I lived on the rent money. 
I had little her and there, like little her and their hustles doing stuff and making money or whatever, but nothing too serious at all. And then um, my buddy, who I, a Canadian guy who lived there for very many years, I met him through RC at his son race. And I, yeah, I, I just, so let's get back. I discovered RC here, like around 2007. And I got back into it for a hot minute and then I got back out. So, and it also died. So it started up, it was, it was banging her. I met the guys in Sasua. We had a track in Sasua. I met the guys in Santa Domingo, which I was grateful for because I didn't even know that other side of Dominican Republic existed. Like the media, the middle class, upper class, all that type of stuff. I just thought, you know, I was just used to the poor class that was upper. I met those guys, Ricardo, well, David, not so much, but Ricardo, all those guys that, you know, I met them and um, that was fun. And I did RC for a little bit, got out, and then I kind of, you know, kind of dabbled in it. Always had RC cars, but never really got serious about it. Always still followed it. Still followed it, but, you know, just kind of didn't really, you know, do too much of it. <clears throat> and then uh, I remember back in 2010, my buddy Guy, who was like, hey, Keenan, he was, he was broke. I was broke. <laughs> we were both broke, right? Was sitting there. And all we could do was probably get a six-pack of beer sit off and go down to the beach and throw a plastic bottle out to our dogs, right? And he kept telling me about shooting shotcrete and tunnel work and all this type of stuff. And I was like, I am not interested in that stuff because he was doing all the tunnel work here on the Metro in the Dominican Republic in Santo Domingo. And he kept telling me, you should come down and try out these radio control robots that I have. You'd be really good at it. I was like, look, just being ignorant. No, don't even want to hear nothing about this. Like, I am not going on the ground to work. So I remember he kind of left her and he left me in charge of his house and I had to go look after his house and his dogs and all that stuff. And he came back and was like, Hey Keenan, I got a big job in Ecuador coming up and I'm going to, he says, I could do two things. I could give you money every month for looking after my house. or I can show you how to make money for the rest of your life. And I was like, Ecuador, let's go. Right. You know, I'm like, yeah, shit, let's go. I'm not doing nothing. Right. So he, he took me down to Ecuador and, um, we were, we were working on a big 12-kilometer hydroelectric tunnel. Basically, we was going in there fixing cracks. It had already been dug, but they kept having, kept having debris coming on and going in the impeller. So they had to drain that. We had to go clean it. And then we went along that whole 12 kilometers, and we had different cracks and stuff that we had to fix. <clears throat> he put me with a couple of guys that he worked with back in the mining industry when he worked in America. And the guys taught me a lot, man. I learned a lot. And he said, act like you know what you're doing. Learn, but act like what you know what you know. But what, what really was my, really helped me was I was able to translate. So it was with a lot of American guys who didn't speak Spanish. And I was the communication between the Ecuadorian guys who were working there and the bosses and, and the Spanish guys. I mean, and the American guys. So, but I got put with a, a good crew. I had a, it was probably the, one of the most fun six months of my life. Even though I worked 12 hours a day, it wasn't really that hard. I would be sleeping in the tunnel. Like if we there was like, yo, let's go in the tunnel and wait. Hey man, you're paying me. And we got me made great money. Everything was paid for. We stayed in a hotel. My wife, who's my wife now, she's my girlfriend. My buddy knew her. It's like, yeah, bring her down. And she came down for like two months. And I was just like, we worked hard. And on the weekends, we went out and we parted. And it was just a great six months of of working, learning something new. Being in a beautiful country, like Ecuador was beautiful, man. It was like, it was dollars 
too, but it was so cheap. And we was just up in the Andes and just, wow, it was, it was so, it was a really good six months. Like, and I learned a lot. And so you controlled the arm that sprays the concrete. Yeah, yeah. So I had hole, a little box. Right? Yeah, I had a little box. And then you just imagine like you go in and you're painting concrete. So yeah. when you dig a tunnel, now like I'll use a tunnel for existence. Then you dig a tunnel, instead of, you know, if you dig, a, you dig one meter, you go in and you spray this stuff. It's like, it's concrete mixed with fibers. You spray pneumatically on this mix of additive. If you went, if you did a meter and then had to go put uh broad and all that type of stuff in it and do all that stuff, you'd only do a meter a week. But we, if you do like when we was in England, we was able to do like three meters, four meters a shift. Right. So, but not we wasn't building a tunnel in Ecuador. We was fixing a tunnel. So I learned how to do that. And then, you know, if those type of jobs, you think, oh yeah, the next one's coming. And then it never really came. Right. My boys, like, we always had these leads, but oh yeah, we might need you for this job. But that never came. So I spent about a couple of years with him. I got a little job here and there with my buddy. And then, uh, believe it or not, back in 2014, I got a job off LinkedIn, right? To go to oh. Abu Dhabi. Like someone contacted me on LinkedIn, a recruiter. I got a job to be a Nazim in Abu Dhabi. Now I got on this plane, right, JQ? And I don't know if, you know, you heard all these stories. And th- these stories are true. Like, you know, how they pack people into, you know, like 20 people to a room, 200 people using a bathroom, all this type of stuff. That's true. So I'm like, am I going to be 20 people with some guy from like Nepal or something like that? Because that was, that's usually what they, so, so, but I got there and it was like, we stayed in like dormitories, but like I stayed with a German guy. So, you know, I stayed with a guy who's from Germany. He was like a secretary. And we showed a, showed a room. He was never there. And then I had room for myself. And then, um, yeah, it was like these uh, Portuguese guys. I worked with, that's why I worked with a bunch of Portuguese guys. So they had come down. They were working for a Brazilian company called Odebrecht, who I had worked for in Ecuador. And they were, we was digging the biggest shaft in the world. Like, imagine it was 50 meters in diameter, 120 meters deep. It's basically the end of a sewage line that came from Abu Dhabi, 40 something kilometers. And it was all gravity fed. And it came up there. That was a big pump. So a big pump. And then, that, then pumped all that out and recycled the water. So we, it was, it was, it was shady work. I'm not gonna lie. It was muddy. It was wet. Like you would, it was just, and the money wasn't that great. And the Portuguese guys, they were nice, but man, they were, they were like, go, 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 go. Like they were like, just go fast. Don't worry about anything else. Um, and then again, when I got there, translation was key, right? Because they didn't speak English, but they understood Spanish. And then I had to translate between them and their workers and all this stuff. And I work with a lot of Filipino guys, and that's where I, I really got to know the Filipino culture and, and, and stuff like that. Um, Is that where your boss didn't even know that you're, you were a lefty? That you no, that before? was in England. That would happen after this. I went to London after that. That was so you, uh, you were doing the yeah. same job and no they didn't realize that you yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked I worked for like three months on the crossrail down on Tottenham Court. We was doing all this. If you go there now, it's all the station and all that stuff. We did all that. And once again, I get there and they have, oh, we have all these Spanish guys. None of them speak English. You speak Spanish? Here you go. I'm like, what? I thought I was gonna get to speak English. And then um I actually ended up meeting with another Portuguese guy who spoke perfect. He he lived in Spain, my boy Dolphin. And uh, I remember, I'll never forget the Irish 
it was, it was a lot of Irish guys working there. They were really nice guys. And he came up to me and he goes, what's this I hear? Your arm doesn't work. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I had a little accident. Tell him. I was shoveling while I'm doing this, right? And it's like, why the, why the fuck didn't you tell me anything? I said, I'm fine. Like, if I need help, I ask for it, right? I don't want no special treatment. I'm here to work. And uh, he's like, no, just take it easy. I said, no, I'm fine. I just went back to shoveling and do what I had to do. And uh, I think that gave, gave me a little bit of respect with them guys, right? And uh, that was fun, too. That was another fun time, living right now in London. Uh, that's when I got back into RC. Okay. That's when I got back into RC. And it hasn't stopped since then. So that's 2014. Uh, yeah, before we move on to that, I remember you telling some stories from the tunneling work too, because it's a, a dangerous job. Yeah, digging yeah. underground so you can have tunnels collapse and all kinds of stuff like yeah, that. So that. didn't you have a near-death experience too? Yeah, yeah, that was, but that wasn't in England. That was in uh, in in Doha, Qatar. So I was in Doha, Qatar in 2016, and we was working on the metro there. We was doing. So if you ever see, if you ever been on the metro, you have the train that goes on the main tunnel and it comes back, and then you have all those tunnels that go between it. So we was doing them. We was working for a French company called Davinci, and I knew when we got there, they're doing all types of stuff that you ain't supposed to be doing. Like in England, you dug a meter, you went a meter, and then you you put shotcrete up, right, for safety, because that's what it does, right? You put, you know, you put a you put a layer of fifty, like. 50 millimeter, five, 10 centimeters of, co- of concrete up there. And then you can go forward. You let that set, then you go forward. That's your protection. They were doing like four meters in this bad ground. Like, and it was just, it was like the same type of ground that I had in uh, Abu Dhabi. And I'll never forget, we was rushing to put in a garda. And it was a couple of my Filipino mates were in there. They were putting up some steel work. We was up into like water up above our knees. It was shitty. And they were just like rushing, rushing, rushing. And um, it was muddy. And I remember we, uh, I said, we had a welder in there. So I said, ah, let me, we started taking the tools out, right? I said, let me take this tool out. So imagine I walked out of the tunnel and I was in the tunnel where the subway goes. And I remember Juancito was there and he was like, he, he was always just the guy that helped everybody, right? He was my age. He was from, from Philippines. Nice guy. I left Philippines about a year before that, you know, because then guys, when they come, they have to do two year stints. They can't go home or a year stint. Like they take their passports. They can't go home, all that type of stuff. So I went in there and I remember as soon as I got out and I started walking, I put this thing on. I was boom. I was like, oh shit, what's that? And my foreman, French guy, he knew right away. It's like, puta, puta, no, no, no. And then we got there, and then it was like this big boulder, like about the size of my desk. And I was like, Fuck. it was like right where I was, like uh, not even 30 seconds before that. I was like, oh, man. And then it was like these two Filipino guys that were up on the scaffold, they fell down, but Juancito was, he was like under the boulder, but like his leg and stuff, right? I was like, oh, wow. So, and it was funny because, like, you saw some people, like, you never know what you're going to do in that situation, right? You never know what you're going to do. So it was like some guys were frozen. My boss, like, the guys with, and people wanted to run to him, right? And I, I remember stopping everybody. I was like, hey, I even wanted to run to him, right? But I started to run to him, and I was like, hey, man, if more stuff falls, we're going to we're gonna be, well, I'm going to be dead, right? So I remember stopping everybody. I ran out. There was an Indian guy. He was running a little mini excavator. 
And then he had just taken it out of the tunnel, like outside of the tunnel he was working in. I was like, get, get in her. Get in her. And he was nervous. So he was trying to get in there. And he, he finally got in there, right? And I was like, hey. I said, put, put your, you know, like an excavator has that spade on the front. It's like, a, I said, put your spade on there. I said, you put your bucket right up above us right here, up on that, because we're the, we're the builder foul. So we can take this guy out, right? I don't know where that came from, like that thinking or me to do that. I think it came from my firefighter training, prison officer training, all that type of stuff, right? That I had done years before. But I remember, and I was like, he's trying to get him out. And then we couldn't figure because it was muddy, right? And dude, I'll never forget that look. Like I went to hold that guy's hand and I thought he was going to die right there. And he was just like grasping for our gas. And I was like, hey, come on, come on, stay, stay strong. So what happened, his leg was trapped underneath there. So he dug his leg out and then we put him on a stretcher and then they took him out. And I'll never forget. I like, I remember getting out there, get like, they finally took us out. Like I, I never, whenever that stopped, dude, I sat down and I was shaking like this. I was shaking. I was like, man, because the first thing I'm thinking of, ah, that could have been me. That could have been my, my son, me, my son, like thinking of my family, all that stuff. So we got out of the tunnel and he's talking. I'm like, okay, it's all right. He's like, don't, don't worry about his leg. But he kept telling him, my side hurts. Something hurts her. And like, you know what? They never took that guy to the hospital. And he died 45 minutes later. <laughs> That's how little they cared about the workers or what? I think so. Why wouldn't they take him? I don't know. They had him up in the medical and they did something that they didn't. They should have took him to the hospital, right? And I remember the big boss of the, of the job, he just started bursting out crying. And um, yeah, man, the whole job got shut down for like two months. All them guys had to get out. They had to go, like all the bosses, because you know, like somebody had to, somebody had to get in, somebody had to get in trouble for that, right? Or somebody, it was somebody's fault. And um, yeah, man, that man lost his life. Left, left him to go make a better life for his family. You know, two same age as me. Left him, nicest guy. And he not, his family never saw him again. And that's when I was like, I'll never forget. Like, I had people from England, my friends from England that were mine. I so like, they called to make sure it was me. It's like, we heard somebody. Like, no, nah, that's not me. He was there. I said, yeah, I was there. And I told them what happened. They're like, get the fuck out of there. Don't, don't stay there. Like, that, that, that going to kill you. Like, you know, all this type of stuff. And um, I'll never forget. Like, I was probably the most vocal about that. See, that's my problem. I've always been a very vocal person about things that are wrong. Like that. Right? You think I'm not, but I have. I learned my lesson. Like, I'm in, I was very vocal in prison officers. I was very vocal in the fire service. I was very vocal. I get that from my father, actually. And I told them guys, I said, you guys killed that guy, right? You killed him. And um, I remember after they started working again or whenever, like, and they had bought all new bosses and they just shit me out. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, yeah, I haven't done it since. And I have no, no urge to do it. It's a lot of work. It's good money, but it's not good for you. Breathing better, you know, all that type of stuff. I enjoyed it. It was fun, but I don't want to do it. And then, uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, now you have a much safer job, I would say. Yeah, yeah, much safer, much more, much so, more fun. At this time, you were still based in the Dominican Republic, but obviously uh, spending months at a time working around the world. Yeah. Then you quit that work 
so what then? Then you settled down in the Dominican Republic. Uh, how was the RC racing over there? Well, it was it was it was it was good and good. I guess I I was invited not by you but by someone else to race there, and that's where we met. So, yeah, how, how did that all happen? So you had come the year before in 2016, and I was in uh, Doha, so I didn't meet you that year. So then, then guys brought you back the following year, and I was racing like ah, dude, I was like. You see me now, I don't touch a car, I don't like wrenching, but I was loco for RC. Like I was on those forums, I was reading every everything that I could find about RC, I was reading, right? And or just doing I would be wrenching on my car trying to get I was a I was a Mugen guy for life. Love my Mugen car. Still got him here right here, right? And then um I remember uh Ricardo goes to me, hey JQ's coming down here, and I was like, That idiot, that guy causes too much problems. But then I was like, all right, he's coming. And like everybody liked you down there. So like, I don't know how, but they liked you. And I remember he was like, hey, he's interested in uh, coming up and seeing the dream project up there. And I was like, why would he want to come see some fucking charity, charitable foundation? But anyway, you know, most people want to come to DR and for other reasons, right? And party. But you wanted to come for that. And I remember, I think, was it WhatsApp? Yeah, we got, I, he gave me a number and we started talking by WhatsApp. And he's like, yeah, I wanna, what do you know about it? I said, I don't know much, but I mean, I know where it is and I could take you there. It's not far from me. Actually, so, oh, that's, you're skipping ahead. Because the way we actually met was I came that, that second time for the race. And yeah, you knew I was coming. But no, no, I this is prior know. to that. Prior to you coming, we was messaging each other. Yeah, but. For the uh, second race. Ah, okay, okay, okay. The first race, I didn't know you. I, to be honest, JQ, I actually met you back in 2005. We was at the Silver yeah. Bowl, and you was breaking in a P5. I'll never forget. You was running over us. She was running her bow. And I was with Paul. I was with, my, with uh, Mark Anthony. I think that's his name. And Timo Lino was there. My boy Kimon from Bermuda was there. Paul was there. And, man, it was another Chinese race. He was, I think they were running Ming Yang or something back then or whatever it was back then. The Chinese guy there running, he was all running at, at that track, getting ready for Silver State. And he was there breaking an engine. And I just remember saying to Paul, I was like, This is the guy that talks all that shit online. He's so quiet, right? <laughs> and I just kept, I remember, like, what when I see people now look at you, like, look at you, like, expecting you to say something, you looked at me, it's like, mm. I said, This guy's don't say nothing to nobody, right? And you was young, you're still young. So that's, but you don't remember that. But I remember that incident, no. that, that, exactly perfectly you was there breaking in that engine and all those guys were there but yeah, yeah i don't you... remember that but anyway when i came that to that second race in the dr and we met mm-hmm. the way we met was that back then i had a second car with me that someone could run right right and then right. you were the person for that race who would run my car so yes. that's how i knew like this keenan guy he's gonna um no but that came after that came after so we started messaging each other Right. And you wanted to know about the dream project. And I said, well, you can come, let's come up to my house afterwards. And then we started talking about, he says, well, will you ask me, what do I do here? And I was like, well, nothing right now. And I told you, I get rent and all that stuff. You and know, you're I, so messed up. No, no, do thank you. This is stuff? this, this happened no, prior to you coming here. I'm telling you, no, I remember this correctly. I remember this correctly. <laughs> Listen, I was messaging because Ricardo gave me a number. 
We was talking prior to you coming here, right? Listen, yeah. let me finish my story. Let me finish my story. He was talking okay. to me prior to you coming here. And then I remember this directly. You asked me if, what do I do here for a living? And I said, That's, nothing. I and I said, you why? That. Do you have a job for me? No. I, no, no, no. <laughs> we're going to yes. fight about this. This was, where, as we were driving, getting lost somewhere in the D Dominican Republic. That's when we had this conversation. Right, because we had that conversation on, online prior to that. Okay. And then you was like, hey, this, I remember you was doing your rental ride thing, right? Mm -hmm. And you said, and I remember I had got all my cars ready. All my cars ready because I was running like five classes because I wanted to win that slash that's right there, right? All my shit was perfect. All my Mugans, I had the e-buggy truggy. I had a, um, a two-wheel drive truck, a two-wheel drive buggy. All that stuff. I was going to race all these classes. And I remember hesitantly saying yes to that, but that was after we had started talking. And I said, yeah, I'll run, I'll run your rental ride. And then I remember <laughs> that's when I, but you had asked me previous to that, what do I do? And I said, I don't do nothing. And if you had a job for me, and you said, this is how I remember. You said, I'll talk to you when we get down there. Okay. And then, um, then I believe you. Yeah. And then we, we still had correspondence you know, but not as much. And then you came down like a few days earlier. Nobody was there to take you on. So I came down a couple of days earlier and then we got lost, you know, driving around drinking, going to all these neighborhoods and all this type of stuff. Because I don't know, he was in the city. I don't know the city to do it. And then, uh, yeah, we kind of, you know, and then you gave me the rental ride and I was like, this guy gave me this clapped out piece of shit. <laughs> it was the end of the year. Jesus, it was June. How was it the end of the year? It was the end of that. May. It was May. It was Dude, that, that car was, was so clapped out. So clapped out. It was probably a lot better than your own car. My Mugen was mint. Mint. In your dreams. But I, I remember that, that you enjoyed it. I remember, I remember I tried to do a whip like you. And then I landed on that metal jump and I broke an arm and it's like, stop trying to do whips. You're like, scolded me like a little kid. And I was like, this fucking guy, I don't want my Mugen. Fuck this guy. That's what I said in my brain, you know. I, uh, that race also, uh, we had a race where I had to drink a beer and drive with one hand. I have video of that. And you yeah, beat us all. You beat I us did. all with a two-wheel drive stadium truck, something that you, you didn't even run. Yeah. That was fun. So, that was a good race. Anyway, we met at that race and you needed a job and I offered you a job, but a kind of unique job because I said, look, the way things are going right now, I can't really hire anyone to do work unless they actually bring in value. So I said, I will hire you, but I can't pay you to begin with. Here's what you need to do. If you succeed, we're going to make more money and Yeah, that's how you get paid. So basically create a market for JQ Racing in Central and South America. Mm -hmm. That was the plan. Right. I remember um, saying, this isn't a job. <laughs> yeah, well, I figured that if you succeed, if you really you know, can do it, then it will be a job. It will be good. And I even then offered to sort of jumpstart the whole thing because – I said, look, plan a trip around South America so we can get more exposure and we can get customers and sales and all of that. 
we have and to that, rewind. That's basically what you did for the next hour. Right, but we have to rewind. Months. This is what you said to me. I have a job. I can't pay you. While you're telling me this, the hospital in Bermuda is calling me. Because I had a friend there, and I applied for a job, and I was going to work in the laundry. I was going to make $27 an hour plus overtime. Right? So they were calling me. Like, hey, we want you to come work, blah, blah, blah. Good job. You know, good job, good money. And I remember talking to my mom. I was like, man, I could, I said, I don't, because my mom knew I didn't want to be back in Bermuda, right? And my family was her. I wanted my, my son and everybody, I didn't have my daughter. I want my son to grow up her. It's like, hey, if this man's giving you opportunity to do something in, in the industry that you love, you should take it. You're not going to be happy here in Bermuda. You're going to be miserable. Your children's going to, your, your son's going to go another year without seeing you. He's not going to know who you are, all this type of stuff, right? So I remember with her blessing, and she's like, look, we'll, I'll just help you out, right? When you need money or whatever I can spur, I'll help you out. So I remember saying yes, and he's like, okay, I need a spreadsheet of all potential customers in, in Latin America. And I'm like, well, I need a car. No, you don't get a car. I was like, well, how am I supposed to sell a product? I remember kind of just arguing with you. How am I supposed to sell a product without even knowing the product, right? And he's like, you're muted. And I was just like, I at least need to put together a car and know what it is. You know, like I thought like, oh yeah, I'm going to put this car together. I'm going to get to go out there and go testing because, you know, I had a tracker and all that type of stuff, right? And I get to do this and all this cool stuff. Man, a fucking spreadsheet. I didn't even know how, I still don't know how to use Excel, right? So I'll never forget. I was like, how am I going to do this? Right? And I remember you was no help. He's like, just do it. And I was like, this guy's a dickhead. It's true. So I kind of sat down for a couple of days and was like, I ain't doing this. Forget this. Right. And then I was like, I need to, let me try. So I'll never forget. I, I contacted Pato Concho down in Chile. Because I knew he's, I remember him from starting grid days and he's big into racing. And I was like, hey, Pato, I'm going to be the JQ Latin America representative. I need some some leads. He led me, and that led to Bolivia, which led to Colombia, which led to, you know, Chile, which led to all those different countries. And then I got to know that whole market. And then I built that market up in Latin America. We, we sold a bunch of cars to the Bolivian guys, all that type of stuff. And while I was doing that, I was also dabbling in the U.S. side because I, I was posting a lot, right? I remember when, when you post up my thing, because that's when Neobuggy was still a, still a viable uh, website, right? You post up my picture. And, um, you know, I was like, I remember people saying like, who is this guy? Like, you know, and all this type of stuff. And I got, and then I just went like, you know, and I put, I, I just shared anything JQ Racing, you gave me access to the groups. I think I made a JQ Latin America group. Then I got access to the JQ page. And I was just posting doing this, doing that. And it was just you. It was, it was just, it was like, no, it was, it was like nobody. But then. Actually, wait. Was, so you, you know the truth because back then at one point, JQ racing was actually quite big. And I remember one of the funniest things was some, when someone uh, made a post somewhere like this, this wasn't a joke, like seriously wrote this something about the marketing department. Like just, just like about JQ Racing and how 
they in their minds, JQ Racing cle- clearly was a big company, like the right, engineering right. department and sales and marketing and everything. But at the time, that really wasn't the case. No, <laughs> so. I actually came into JQ and you was you was really n- nobody. There was no real presence in America. You had a few guys, like Tony Scarcella, Jeff Werner, were some solids. And I remember those were, the, and there was another guy, Larry. I forget his name. Rothschild? Not Rothschild. Larry. I still talk to him from now and then. But those guys are running JQ. And I remember Werner, Jeff Werner and Tony Scarcella reached out to me. And they're like, hey, man, welcome to JQ and blah, blah, blah. And we're still friends to this day. They're the first people. And Larry were the first people to to, to kind of uh, reach out to me. And then I remember you saying, your job is Latin America. Don't mess with America. And I'm like, okay. You know, but it kind of naturally gravitated. Then I think like... um. We met Mike. Mike Hill came along and his family, and then I remember meeting Mike Hill, like talking to him, and then that kind of snowballed, right? And then, um, then uh, I remember you go to me. You said, "Hey, Lefty." No, I wasn't Lefty by this time because I was still Keenan, right? He's like, "Hey, Keenan. Uh, so, do you think we should? Do you think a Latin America tour would be good for JK Race?" And I said, like, "Yeah, you should go." And he's like, "No, we should go." And I was like, "We like, I'm going with you." And I he's like, yes, I need somebody to translate. And I was like, he goes, you got planet. I'm like, well, what's the budget? Just planet. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, dude, I planned that trip to the T, to the T. Everything worked out, like bus rides, uh, hotels. Plane. We only missed one plane, but it wasn't our fault. And we went to a race in each. We hit a lot of, we hit. We went first. Where did we go? We went Bolivia. We went Bolivia first. Then we went to uh, Peru and met Sergio. It wasn't a race there, but they didn't even race nitro there at that time, right? Here they didn't run an electric. We had a sneak uh, nitro over there in. Uh, well, they were on the, run, running nitro off road. We had to go through like Chilean customs. Yeah, Chilean customs with and Powerade bottles with nitro in it. Then you lost one on the bus and I made you go on the bus and find it because I don't want somebody drinking it. And uh, then we went from Peru to Argentina. Argentina was fun. Argentina was the best level of RC that we went to, right? Organized, like proper nationals, lots of guys up there in Mendoza. You you hated the meat. I love the meat. Um, I really enjoyed Argentina. Then we met, we caught a bus from Argentina Tina to Chile. That's when we went on that windy road that Robert wanted to go on when he was down there. And then from Chile, we went to Colombia. We spent like a week in Colombia. Well, Colombia was nice. I love to go back there. And then we went to uh, then <laughs> we re- then we're like we get to Miami, and then I'm gonna dr- drive for the first time in America. Oh my gosh, that was so nerve wracking. Never driven in America. I don't remember you saying stop being a left hand. See you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't know the rules. And then I remember we drove from Miami all the way up to Myrtle Beach. And that's when we kind of, that's like kind of when JQ Racing uh, USA was taking off. Mike Hill, Lorenzo, all them guys came. Greg that came. that when you met Brent from Beach RC? Yes. Because I remember you had messaged him and said, hey, uh, can you hold off some stuff? I wanted some tools. So I remember I went into this is I went into he was parking the trailer. I said, like, "Hey, what's up, Brent?" I said, like, "Oh, are you Keenan?" I said, like, "Yeah." And he was talking, and he I paid for the tools. I was like, "Hey, man, you need to get some JQ racing stuff up in her." And I remember what he said, 
He's like, man, I like what JQ is doing, but I don't know if I could have it. I don't know. You know, I don't know. You know how it was. It's like, I don't know, man. It might be bad for business. And uh, then I, we picked up Greg because we was all staying in the same. Me, you, and Greg were staying together. And, and then I like, I'm like, oh, man, I'm I'm hanging out with Greg Degani. Like, you know, I used to read about this guy in the magazines and stuff like that. Then I realized how, how much of an asshole he is, actually. And, um, but a fun asshole. Then that's when, that's when he became enamored with my arm. It's like, what's wrong with your arm? <laughs> I said, yeah, man. And I told him the story and it's like, we're going to call you lefty from now on. And I said, no, you're not. No, you are not. No, you are not. And he's like, yes, you are. You are lefty from now on. And then you start, and then Michael was calling me then, then, and I fought it at first. And I said, you know what? Well, I'm lefty to great, like great white sharp. And That great disappointment. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah, he was ma- he was like imitating how how you. He still does. He still does. And in Spain, he's like is watching me while I'm working, like I'm typing. It's like you've got a new nickname. It's Crane Arm. It looks like a crane. Guy <laughs> yeah. loves my arm. Yeah. So basically, what ended up happening was exactly what I planned. You took you you actually did your job. You started to get paid a bit. Yeah, and, commission. Uh, you built yeah, you built your you got the car also. Mm-hmm. You got your car that you didn't get for free in the beginning. See, that's the thing. There's so many people who they talk the talk and then they want something immediately, you know, a free car and whatever. And then nothing happens. So you I just met you at that point where I was like this Bermudian bastard isn't going to get anything unless he delivers first. That was it. And that's why I stuck to it. And it worked out. So you did a great job with Central and South America. We had a great tour there. Met people who are still with us to this day. Now they've transitioned over to Mayako. Mm-hmm. And then American. We were already in America, but we didn't really have someone who was dedicated to the JQ brand there. Then you got Brent on board there. Brent took over. We had a, a couple of really good years there uh, with you taking yeah, care of everyone. We had some good years there. I would say 2018. It's a very good year. Yeah, around that time. You yeah. taking care of all the the customers, like customer service guy, always on your phone, messaging everyone. Yeah. Putting out fires. But it wasn't just me either. It was guys like Walker, Mike Hill, yeah, yeah. Tony, those so, guys as well. Before we get into the the podcast, which was the next step, why don't you talk a bit about your those years and your work and your frustrations with uh, me and how how everything went in your opinion with uh, JQ Brand and all that stuff? Well, you always rant to me, so now yeah, to everyone and uh, I uh I remember then after Myrtle Beach, it was like. I, that was my first big race I had been to for long. I absolutely sucked. I think I was in the last F main or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I was the first race of the morning. I know that. I sucked. Um, but then I also realized I'm not her to... You, I realized I couldn't race and also do my job, right? And then uh, we started... I think as we drove home, we, we drove... We was actually driving on to Orlando to meet the walkers, which we met. And I remember he was like, all right, if you're going to do this, 
and we we started talking about DNC. He's like, I said, like DNC, like I, I've never been. And I'm like, yo, I read about this this race in the magazines, and like to go, it was like a big deal for me. I was like, I want to go DNC, JQ. So I remember it was like, well, I and I said, no, we started talking about America. I was like, I think you should send me to every race you can out her, right? To go support people. And then I remember you saying, you're not gonna be able to race at these races. And that was a hard pill to swallow, right? I'm like, what? I want to go DNC and I can't race? What the fuck? Well, like, I was like, no. But I remember when I got to DNC, we had 22 people there plus, right? And I, that was the biggest thing, right? So we got to DNC um, and, like, I'm pumping that up. I'm like, let's go to DNC. Like, Lorenzo, everybody's coming. Like, we had, you know, before then, and let's be honest, JQ, like, you had, you had your regular... God, you had you, Smoker, Degani, Keith, Keith Henry, uh, and then maybe one or two other guys that kind of were running the car and they would come out to spend. You always had a great looking pits, but you never had a whole bunch of guys there. Maybe in, in, in the past you did, but it was like that. I remember we showed up to DNC. Like the Americans didn't know what to think. It was like 22, 23, 24, I think almost. I can't remember the exact number. It was, it was a shit ton of JQ. Guys. Like the first time I've ever seen this man. Like JQ, there's jerseys, there's, there's um, JQ hats, JQ's jerseys, JQ everything all over the place at DNC. I remember like everybody just being like, like what the fuck? Like you could see it in their face, right? And I'm just enjoying this, right? I'm loving this. I'm out there. Like I'm at my first DNC. That's also the year we decided to put stickers all over everything. And then one of the, I remember we went to, uh, we was out practicing at, uh, oh man, Channel Islands. And that guy, Atherton goes, her man, her's 2000 JQ takeover stickers that I printed up. Right. Oh my gosh. We, and then that was innocent enough, right? We just went around putting that on things until somebody who were named nameless just spoiled it. But, uh, and then Max was really fast. You was actually very fast too. Uh, you 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 didn't really you was really good that that year in nitro buggy. I think you in the last qualify you qualified ninth or sixth. No, you qualified sixth or something like that. Overall, then you f- fucked it all up. Anyway, um, yeah, but I was DQ'd. At least I yes. got to run my e buggy, man. Yes, you you know the worst thing ever in, in RC you done. You know you put stickers on the champagne bottle, which I agree. Don't get me wrong, I I get it. Like Joey was pissed off at you, and he came up to me and I was like, all right, I get it, Joey. And you went and did it again. And I swear, I felt like taking that champagne bottle and just smashing it across your head. But then, the, then of course, that was the worst thing ever to happen. And then you turned off Ben Sterling's radio. And um, I, re- I know exactly why you did it, because he, he crashed you. Like, you know what I mean? You was in a bump spot lapping him, and he just crashed into you and then made your car alligator. I like, JQ, he was like bumping. Like, you would have been in the A-man. Or something, and then he did, yeah. and then I just remember you went over and you just switched his radio. So when people say that, people think like, "Oh, he switched his radio off in his car." Man, no, he switched his radio off, and he realized a couple of sec, like a two, three seconds later, that it was off. He wasn't <laughs> even was mad coming. at you. <laughs> no. He wasn't no, even mad really. at you. But that's when the that's when the HB JQ beef started. Is it? Yeah, because then remember, uh that's also when. Figueredo and Cole got into it. 
and then Eli Rapp was going to smash you in the face with a, with a car. And then remember all the HP guys came to the JQ pits? Like, oh, we'll, we'll fuck you up. And then it was like me, Renzo. And then you were sticking your head out, like what are sitting there, like you're sticking your head out saying some smart shit. All, all because you said a gyro, right? That was that was a, a weird year. Like everybody was accusing the Europeans of cheating, all this type of stuff, man. Oh, that's like accusing Barufel and Figueroa of cheating. They're cheating. They're too fast. Like little did they know that these guys are like literally fast. Like, you know, here we go. Barufalo won Silver State this year. Yeah, I think that beef, it, it started in the e-buggy. I must have been in the e-buggy B main. Yes. So I, I bumped from the e-buggy B main, and then it was Figueredo and Cole Ogden were battling for the last bump spot behind me. Yes, and so Figueredo did take him out. And then Figueredo took Cole out, and then they were arguing about that. And I'm all happy because I made the main. And then and I'm I heard them arguing you. and this and that. And because of all the gyro talk, I just, I can't remember exactly what I said. You said, hey, hey. But something like, it must have been the gyro or gyro malfunction <laughs> or something like that, you know? And then all of their anger turned from Figueredo, yeah. uh, the father and son, to me. Yeah, I <laughs> then, thought that you, I thought, hey, Lorette, hey, uh, he's, I, like, I like Eddie, right? But I, I watched him go from screaming, like they were both in, uh, they were both arguing with Figueredo and his dad. And I remember his dad, we all was young, probably 18. So his dad was in between them and his dad don't speak English, right? So his there, like, just in between them. And they were all in his face. Oh, la, 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 fuck you. La, 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 la. And I'm just like, ooh, that's aggressive, right? So we walk around. We walk in from tech. And you go, hey, Eddie, it must be the gyro. And you was like, across, and I saw that guy, like, just, like, stop what he was doing. And he had Cole's car like this. Like, you know, like, he had the, the you know, imagine you're carrying it like that in the ring. And he just ran over to you. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy is going to slap JQ with this car. And then, um. He started getting, and then I kind of went over there, and then Dylan Nelson's dad, because he's huge, like Dylan Nelson's dad got in between, like me and Dylan Nelson's dad, but Dylan Nelson's dad was obviously bigger than me. And I was like, oh, you know, he's like, calm down. And then, like, then, like, all the HB guys came over, and I was just like, oh, oh we're going to have an all out nerd fight here, like, you know? <laughs> and, um, oh man, that was crazy. That was crazy. That was, that was, that was the start of the HB JQB right there. And, um, yeah, I remember also, so on top of the stickers, the HB guys went and complained about you turning off the radio and that like added fuel to the fire. And I just never forget, <laughs> you were just like, man, you're DQ'd and you're still there gluing up tires <laughs> and Greg goes, JQ, why are you gluing up tires? You can't race anymore. And you're just sitting there like, oh yeah, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. And he kept saying, I'll be all right. And then you went trying to talk to the Joey and you came back. I'm really DQ'd. And I just remember looking at you and like everybody in the pits. I was like, yeah, dumb. I said, you dumb mother effer. You always fuck shit up. Always. And I was so angry at you. I went to the trailer and I, the camper and I just stayed there and I was just like, this mother, I was effing you off and I'm watching the truggy man on my phone. And then I start getting messages. Did JQ just really, you know, and the Arab, like, it was like, wow, people liked what you've done. Like, you actually got customers because of that, like, you know? Yeah. And uh, I remember it. I I was kind of worried, but then it oh, yes, you went well. You played it cool, <laughs> but then Max saved the day. Max went out there. He would have won e-buggy, but his ESC fried, and then he dominated the Nitro buggy. And then that started a whole next kerfuffle because 
Then he ran over there and gave him 500 bucks. And he's got that picture. He's like all small and it's all tiny. He's got the 500 bucks. And I remember we was driving home from there and you go, man, that could have been really bad lefty. And I was like, no shit, no shit. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, after that DNC, I convinced you to let me drive the van across America from California. And I remember dropping you off at the airport, never driven a van now, never driven a van and only driven in America a bit. I'm going to drive a van across America. <laughs> and you go, lefty, here's $150 in cash. Make it to Dallas and don't fuck up my van, please. I'm like, hold on. Where am I going to sleep, JQ? I don't know. But here's $150. That's all I got. And I had $100 in my account at that time. And I was just like, $250. And I'm going to drive this van to Dallas, then to Florida. So I made it to Dallas after some wrong turns and stuff like that. I slept in the van for like an hour at a rest stop. And that's uh, and I met Isherwood for the first time. And Isherwood gave me some money, five hundred bucks. And then I went from there. Actually, no, I think I went to Indy too. I think I went to Indy. I went Probably, to Indy. Yeah. yeah, I went to Indy RC. Then I stopped at Flowood RC in Mississippi. And then I went and met the Walkers down in Florida. And I remember them taking a picture and sending it to you. And you was like, oh, he made it. I can't believe he made it. And that dude, that was that was such an adventure. But dude, when I think about it now, what if I'd have got a flat tire? How would have I fixed that if I'd have got a flat tire? Triple A, we had triple A. Yeah, but the only that's what, dude. I like people don't understand. I do, did not know how to drive in America, and I drove that van across the country. Man, that was an adventure. That's the first of seven times. How many? Seven times I've been across Seven. America in that van. So, I the one round trip you count as two. Yeah, two two ways from east to west yeah. across America. So what have I done then? Three. Well, you did How one have you with done me. So many. I went from so I went from there to Florida. Florida in 2018, we went from Florida back to California. Me and you. That's when we did our USA tour. Dropped you off in Florida because you wanted to go yeah. freaking Philippines. He's in love. That's right. So I've done three then. I've done one alone. Right. Both ways. Mm-hmm. Wait. And then one across. Yes. I did go both ways alone and then one across. And then I came back. Mm-hmm. Then we came yeah. back out for DNC 2019. Right? Yeah. Back to South, then I was at Mike's house, uh, Mike Hill's house in North Carolina, and then we came back out there the final time for RCGP at the end of 2019. And that's that's when, if I could pinpoint an era, so by this time, Jakey Racing's going good, you know, Mike Hill was going to races, Walker, oh, like we was having a great presence at all these different races. I think my, I remember one, went to one P&B and we had that whole back section of the this is when we could put tents in there. We had a whole back section of the stadium filled up with JQ tents. It was so many, so many people, right? People were just pitting on the outside. Like, you know, people just wanted to be there. And I was just like, wow, there's a lot of people. And I remember that's the year that uh, Lutz had signed for Nemo, right? And I just looked over at the Nemo pit and it was just Billy, Lutz, and my boy Abba, who was pitting with us at first. 
but I was from Bermuda, and then he went over there, and I was like, they got this big tent with three people in there, and and one and one and at that time, Lutz was he's still a popular pro, but he was still very popular. He was doing well, and I remember Billy coming up to me and says, "You have no pro driver, and look what you have her." I was like, "Yeah, but that's on the phone to two, three in the morning, you know, that's up at making, you know, it was a lot of work. I had a lot of help with people helping out, you know what I mean? And then obviously when Brent came on board." If BTRC had made it streamlined things before, because people don't even know, like to order a kit before, before BTRC came on was such a hassle. Oh my gosh. Like getting parts, keeping parts and stock, people ordering kits, you refunding money because somebody sent it in euros and they're supposed to send it in. The, oh it my, wasn't that was really a hassle, a except uh, the problem was the credit cards in America. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't accept the credit cards or something for Americans. Oh Otherwise, man, it was. Oh my god! I would. I remember I was up at two o'clock in the morning in my bed, and this guy was like, "I want to order my cars now, and I'm gonna walk him through it, you know." And I'm just like, "That's why." When I met you, dude, my beard was pretty black, and then it was, and then not, not to mention like the Facebook fights, right? Like, like that little fight I had the other day, the Monday, this past Monday, was nothing compared to what you used to do. You would fight for like seven days straight. And you'll be calling people idiots, and I'm just like, shut the. It's like every time he took two steps, a step forward, you put us two steps back. And every time I would, I would f you off, I'm like, just shut up and let's make money. We wouldn't make money if it wasn't for this. I said, you don't have to do this no more. Just be quiet, be quiet. Like I remember just calling you up, like, and just being like, shut the fuck, shut up, shut up. Like, and but I'm joking. I said nobody got your humor. Shut up. Oh, I'm not shutting up for nobody. I'm like, you are, you aren't even exaggerating. That's how it went. JQ, dude, you, dude, like I call that the great wars of 2017 to two. We had bounties on our car. Remember, like after like yeah. Jeff Keaton and Bobby Moore put bounties on our car. Like, dude, it was great. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, it like, was we like had, they were offering money if someone takes out the JQ driver. I know. Wasn't that the idea? Yeah, yeah, and I know it was a joke, but people start taking that stuff seriously. Like, we had people mad. Like, you see, the thing is, right, and I always used to get angry at you, is that you never had to suffer for your, your shit. It was everybody that supported you, right? Yeah. So it was like, I remember when Paul Samaribo and them guys were running, like, you know, Paul was cool, and it's like, man, somebody fucked up our JQ tent, right? At a, at a race at... um. At a JBR or not a JBR, but a race they had at uh, Thunder Alley one night. And then, you know, I remember a coach, Jeff was telling, Werner was telling me about one time he went to a race at Indy and someone stole his pit bag and ran over with a car because he's a JQ guy, right? And that's when I was get, I would just get so angry at you. Like, JQ is not you. Yahoo, I'm in Finland not having to deal with it. It was the guys out there and I had to deal with it. Man, it was, that was, I, I think, like people, if you didn't, if they didn't know you in that time, and what that was, what it was like when you was on Facebook, man, I'm surprised we saw anything. I'm I'm surprised. You I know what? Despite all of that, despite all of that, the market, the the JQ team really grew in America. I, it's it's really hard to say that um, because you can't do both. You can only do one, so you only have one reality to deal with. But if I had been just vanilla, then I don't think 
anything would have happened. Like I would have not got to the point. Like we would have. Yeah, but you went. You went to extreme. Like you. That can be argued. Yes, but I still think that what a lot of people always say is that oh, it would have been so much more successful if only you had not been opinionated or being quiet or whatever. That's not true, because people knew about it people cared about it because of the opinions and because of the controversy and because of those things and it's very hard to draw the line to be like you did you have no perfect line. opinionated person or the perfect no. controversial person or that perfect people that people either love or hate right that's a hard thing to do so i i never really tried i just was myself and that's it Dude. and yeah, <laughs> it was. I would, you know, the the sad thing about it is, is that I couldn't openly show that stress. Right? You you made it where I had to be vanilla PC all the time, right? Because we couldn't have two guys. You know, I have my opinions too, right? And it, I you I had to stop. So do you know where the stress came out was him. Right? That's why I tell you my wife doesn't like you too much. She likes you, but she doesn't like you that much. And on top of that, not making a lot of money because I'm going to tell people, like, people think RC is all about making, I was making maybe $750 a month off this, maybe at that time. Right? That's that's nothing. Like, I was doing this full time. Full time. 24-7. I have been doing RC full time, 24-7 for the last six years. I haven't had a vacation, like a proper vacation, where I'm not where I'm not using my phone, not nothing. But what happens is the stress, not saying like my, you know, like my wife would have to deal with the stress. Like she'll see me stressed out. She'll see me like not being able to sleep and all that type of stuff because I'm so passionate, right? I had to make this work. I had to make it work. I had to, I had to do that. I had to do all of that stuff to make up for one, you causing all the dumb shit, right? cleaning up your messes and you'll be like, stop cleaning up my messes. Like if some, if I don't do it, we won't have nothing. And then on top of that, dealing with the, so dealing with personalities of, of, of people dealing with, you know, a guy who's at a club race and he's not doing well. And he's, he's calling me. He's like, fuck this car. I'm like, dude, you had a club race, you know, dealing with all of that stuff. And then dealing with what you was dealing, dealing with you and your mess. And then on top of that, not making no money at it, not making no real money at it, that shit was... And then you constantly, constantly pushing me. Oh, if you want to go to DNC... I remember this used to be... This used to get my ass so much. Do you want to go to DNC? You need to sell 100 kits and help me get do this and that. And I was like, hey, dude, stop dangling that damn carrot in front of me, like... I have earned more, and you did that so I forgot, much, dude. I, I forgot about that, dude. When you used to do that to me, I would—I swear to God in heaven, I wanted to just, I, like, it stressed me. I'm like, what? I'm like, but we burn your brand, that- do all this stuff, and then you're like, it's not enough. Get me more, and I'm like, <laughs> you need me at DNC. Like it was, it was a no. I, I like, I should be there, right? And that used to just aggravate me. But I'm saying all this, right? Because now, as I've as I've gotten older, as I look back on all this type of stuff, I appreciate that stuff. I appreciate that you made me pay for my own car. So when somebody says, "Oh yeah, just give me a free car," I say, "All right, can you sell me fifteen cars?" 
That's what I used to say to people, right? Because I had to pay for my own car. I had, like, it was a war, man. It was a war. Like, 2017, 2018, up to the end of 2019, it was a war, dude. It was, was like, constantly, every, every, every day, man. Every day you would do something. And, dude, you pissed off everybody. Everybody. You pissed off even your unfinished, like, I remember Max is there just saying, he should just shut the fuck up. And I'm like, I agree, Henry. He should just shut the fuck up. And um Oh, how many years? Was super did you do that? 2017 was the first? Yeah, I started I started uh like June 2017. So 18 and 19. 19. I think when, when did the podcast start? Ni- uh, October 2018. 18. Okay. So just after just over a year, then we started the podcast, and then how much? How long did it take until the podcast took over? Uh, so it I just wanted to stress one thing. Okay, yeah, actually, actually, we can transition to that. So I remember when I remember when I came to you about the podcast because you always say I, I, Keenan, I made it the podcast. I came to you to talk about doing a podcast. I remember coming to you, and this is when like Lupus Live was going on the turn. We had a couple of English podcasts going, and I remember, you know, and I like those podcasts, but I always used to say to Jake, to you, it's like, you know, like Lupus Live used to touch on a little bit of European racing or racing around the globe. And I was like, Jake, you, I want to start a podcast because all we hear is about is American racing. And there's so much racing going over in Europe, right? And Asia and all this type of stuff. And you and I used to just sit off and talk about it, right? <clears throat> and I said, I want to do a podcast. And you was like, okay, let's do it. And I was just like, and then once again, got the equipment, talk to Josiah. You said, go, go talk to Josiah and find the equipment. So me being an idiot, I talked, not saying I talked to Joe. Joe was actually one of the guys that helped, helped me the most. So happy birthday to him too. It's while we're recording this. It's his birthday today. And um, you, you said, like, you never say money isn't an object or get the best stuff. You say, get the equipment you need. So I'm always looking for the cheapest stuff, right? So I remember getting all this cheap stuff that just didn't work, right? And then we found, then like he was like, "We got to do it. You got to do it." And I remember we tried to do work. We recorded our first podcast was in a Motel Six. Isherwood was there. Remember, we was going to interview Isherwood because he was. It was like I think yeah, he was because this for was R- when the RCGP thing yeah, was uh, yeah, starting. Yeah. Yes, so Isherwood was there, and we're sitting around his mic, and it was just a fail. I, I wish we would have recorded. I wish we would still had that, right? Then I I said, "Nah, I'm not doing this. Nah, nah." Nah, it's not good. And then I think the Worlds was coming up. And you was, oh, oh, I can't remember if we did it after the Worlds. I think we did it after the Worlds. And it's like, oh, I'm going to get Greg. Let's do a podcast. I'm going to get Greg one. And I remember, now I forget, I was in my living room. It was hot as fuck. And I was in a little corner. And it was, I had this mic and I had the reverb up too much. So if you go listen to episode one, the audio sucks. It's like reverby. I didn't know what I was doing, right? But the content was good. Also, what I didn't like is I was talking in like an American accent to an extent. I was talking properly. Like I I am not. I'm talking properly. So I wasn't really using my accent and I had to think, right? I still don't talk in my full accent because I'm so used to talking like this. But I remember Salty Joe messaging me and saying, why are you putting on that fake accent? Like, you know, Salty's got that thick Bermudian accent. (laughs) Then he ain't sound like you. Why are you putting on that stupid accent for talk like you're normal? You know him. I was like, if I do, people won't understand me. 
And then even Joe, uh, Joe Zaire is like, man, just talk normal. And I remember we did that first episode and I liked it. And then you said, okay, now you got to do one every week. I said, what the, f- are you insane? I remember saying, I said, are you stupid? Every week. Cause that was so stressful just to do that one. Right. I said, no, no, no. Guess what? I did one every week for like a year. And, uh, I think I would say by episode 10, it started getting traction. I'll say even before that, I think Tebow was my first big guest. Oh yeah. I think it was, I think it was Tebow or Max. And then it was Tebow. Then Brent came on and then, uh, I had lots of one and Tebow. Now, yeah. And then it just started going, going, going. And then, uh, I think, uh, Oh, we went to Fall Brawl 20. You didn't go, but I went to Fall Brawl <clears throat> 2018. And man, people were like, man, I have to re- really like the podcast and, you know, blah, 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 you know. And I said, like, oh, oh, like people, are, I, and I was like, oh, people are listening, right? And uh, yeah, it just started going from that. And I think by the end of 2019, maybe we went to RCGP. So Mike and I talk about this all the time. We, we talk about the day JQ Racing died, right? That's what we call it. You crash out of the Philippines with that failed. You know, you was all hot in the ass to get to the Philippines. You had all these great plans to live there and you just, that failed. I went, I remember that I was there already when we recorded the first podcast. So when did you say that was? 2018 something. You so was, was in the Philippines, there. I think. Yeah. yeah, I was living there at that point. I was actually at the track in the car when we recorded that podcast. And then I was that whole of that did you go for the world from philippines yes so that whole of that second half of 2018 i was preparing rcgp there and then Mm. it started i think april 2019 Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then that summer 2019 then i moved back to finland but right and then it was like forgot i actually forgot that the start of the podcast that whole thing I was in the Philippines. I forgot about that. I forgot that you was there too. I, yeah. For some reason, I thought you was in Finland. No. But so anyway. Yeah, I remember when we was driving, we drove the van back out there to California. I mean, new for that last RCG. No, was it? The last you and Mike Hill? No, were we're, lying. You, we're lying. You were telling the story of the day JQ Racing died. I'm trying to think that 2020 did I did I did I fly out there or did I drive out there? Yes, no. So it was 2019 because I drove we drove the van for the last time out to California, and I remember Mike saying, "Man, we're not going to drive this back. It's not going to be the same." And it just was never the same. You needed a van because you was going to be in California. You was going to be there for five months, and you needed a van. And I remember Greg, me, everybody telling you. Forget California because nobody's going to buy your car. Nobody likes you. Not people yeah, like that's you. where you can be in the wintertime. Yeah, yeah. But we was like, you should, you should forget that. Come over and, and just spend the, that time in, on, in the Southeast where people are buying your car, where you can go to different races, all this stuff. It's like, no, I want to be. I want to be in California with the cool guys and go to Thunder Alley every day in Revelation because that's what I do. Right? <laughs> And I remember when we, we took it over there and we flew back home and that's kind of when it, it started dying, right? And um, when I say dying, like, 
we, the van was there. So we had every race we went to, there would be tents and, you know, all that pits set up and all that type of stuff. And Mike Hill was doing that and all that type of stuff. And that stopped. And that was a major blow to everything over there. And then yeah, I, I but, think I stopped going as well. Because then COVID hit, like in 2020. Yeah, then, like, so just to recap, because I don't remember, when did you know that uh, JQ was going to end and there would be Mayako? When did you, when did I tell um, you? I think, nerd, and I think when did you launch it? Like, uh, I think pretty late, right? Because, yeah. So this time in 2019, um, I was already working on the Mayako. So yeah, I, well, I didn't know that. that. I didn't know yeah, what was so going to happen at that point. Basically, I think already, uh, I would have to check when the first Mayako things happened, but it might have been late 2018, around that time. Right, I didn't but even know. that You never told me. I, tried, I started trying to do something like that in 2016 already. Mm. You know, like I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing forever because it wasn't working in the right way. And then the podcast thing, that was something that had already been tried. I already tried that with someone else. Right. That even, guy from Sweden, barbecue. Yeah. He even something. made a couple of episodes or something, but then you were just the perfect fit for that to do the podcast. So then I, I thought, okay, this could be perfect because you do the podcast while still doing the JQ thing. Then mm-hmm. that ends, and I do my ARCO, but you have the podcast. Yeah. And of I course, ACGP think... was a separate thing where I'm thinking this brand is going to come in uh, in a different way to other brands, and we will have this World Series that we can compete in, which will uh, elevate the game for pro racing and that's what Mayako will be into. So we can promote the brand through that series perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what the series does. You invest in the series as a brand and then they do the work for you with the media coverage and all of that. So that would have been good. Plus then the podcast with you doing the podcast, then uh, that would also help to promote. So just that, that was basically the plan and you were involved in, in uh, the whole thing. You just yeah. didn't know early on. Yeah, I didn't. And you know what? Thinking of RCGB, I think I have 15 episodes of that that I don't even know where they are right now, to be honest. Aren't they still online? I don't know. I can't find... Maybe. Maybe on... Uh, I don't think they're on Podbean. I but they weren't on YouTube. Um, because we decided to do start the starting grid, RCGP. Yeah. So anyway, podcast. that's why the JQ brand sort of died. Yeah, but by the time that had happened, was, there was no point in really putting so much effort into it when I knew it was the last year. Right. Well, yeah. I just remember the van not being there and things dying on, and I was just like, "Man, I don't, I don't know what's going on." And then, um, I think near the end of twenty twenty, you kind of told me what was going to happen, and you gave me a decision. He's like, "Well, you can do the podcast full time." And I think I, by that time I had the podcast had really started taking over my life. Anyway, even like during COVID, I was still doing a podcast a week, right? I don't know where I go. There wasn't a racing, there was nothing, but I was finding information to do. And a lot of people give us credit because it was you and me and Max for helping them get through COVID too. 
oh man, I would listen to you guys. You would be my RC fix during COVID, right? And um, I remember also then I had to, I remember, I think at 2020, I had to move, right? And that's when I was like, I'm moving literally around the corner, but I didn't have the extra bedroom. Then I got the office. And that's when I was like, the studio. And I was like, all right, so this is full time. This is what I'm going to do. This is my, and then I was like, this is my passion. And I, I was learning, you know, so I was on you, like I was learning. Remember, I used to be geeking out on everything, like trying to get perfect audio, trying to do this, trying to do, like the audio that people hear now look, took years to, to get, like, you know, now it's easy to me. Uh, but yeah, and then um, I think when we did the office, he was like, hey, you need to start doing video. Right. And that's when we started doing video. But by that time, I remember when we first started the podcast, we had sponsors that didn't even pay. We just had them on there because we wanted to get sponsors going. Right. You know, yeah. and, and, um, Brent, I think Beach was my first sponsor. Then Techno was like my first real sponsor, Beach and Techno. That been with me the longest. Techno RC was, Techno RC was always, I remember when they first approached me about sponsoring the podcast, I was like, they do know that you are on this podcast. Right. Um, yeah. I but was, you know honestly, what? I was surprised. Especially yeah, but you know what? It's actually it's actually turned into a great relationship. Uh, Matt and I always, when we get to these these uh, races, we always talk. We have we share very similar ideas on RC. Uh, I remember maybe before Daniel didn't even speak to me because he saw me in the JQ racing and all that stuff, and that's when you was going after techno really hard. But now he's like, "Hey, man, come on in!" Like he's like these, and I I can appreciate everything that techno is doing. And what they put back into the industry. And I appreciate their support. And we always, and you know what? He tells me, keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. You're always talking about the issues that need to be talked about. And uh, I appreciate that. And of course, Brent's support. But yeah, that, I think they've been my longest so far. Yeah. Out of those two. And Racecraft probably is another one that's been on for quite a long time. So yeah, it just it just spiraled. Like, you know, it it it's it went and then I couldn't believe like the support that the podcast was getting right and then people started seeing the slogans like nitro is the glory e buggy pays the bills and I was just like wow like you know what I mean and I was just like that's crazy right but then I think around tw- late twenty twenty I was like you know what lefty you have to start using your platform to do like we could be all PC, right? And I was very PC for a while. And you used to always say, stop being a, you've got to have some balls. Have a, You know, like you're saying, you have a statement and stand by it and blah, blah, blah. blah, blah, blah. Don't always try to be so agreeable. I've changed a lot. Like you haven't, you haven't listened to some of my lefty off the records lately. Oof. I've been fired. I've been salty. Right. But I think what's, what's happened is I made a decision maybe late 2020, 21. When I started to do this full time, I was like, all right, Keenan, you can either, make everybody happy or you can start making a change, a difference in RC. Now we're, we're, we're really, we're just, we're just two idiots that love geeking out on RC. Right. You know, and 4,000 K is nothing. Right. Like if you look at my numbers, my, my audio numbers are good. You know, my audio only numbers, but obviously with the, the YouTube thing, it splits them half go to this half go to the audio. And I was like, you have to start pushing issues, pushing, you know, to make RC better. Stop 
everybody telling you, you can't, we can't do this. We can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, stop saying we can't, we can. And I remember you telling me that. And, you know, you know, like, like kind of like, kind of like what Mathis does, right? Mathis pisses people off too, right? But people still like him. Now I'm not as bad. Then it was hard because you always was pissing people off, right? You was always the, the guy that pissed people off and said the things that, that, you know, you, you, you do go too far sometimes. I don't, I don't think I go as far as you, but then as you kind of backed off from the podcast over the years, over the last year or so, and you're only on it like once a month or, you know, whatever, because you have so much going on and, you know, I don't want you when you're miserable and you're, you know, you don't want to be here. I want you when you want, when you want to be on her and you're going to be good. Right. So Max does a good job filling in. I've learned how to do other things. But yeah, man, it just, it just, you know, it got too much where I was focusing more on the podcast, not as much on the JQ racing. And obviously the Mayako thing happened. I stopped being a part of that. That's what I want people to understand. Like so many people come up to me and ask me about Mayako and I'm like, I don't know. And I do that on purpose because I had to do that for so long with JQ racing. I don't want to know what's going on. So I can't give people answers. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you also didn't want to uh, do it anymore. So it was really yeah. a perfect timing to switch over. And I was never really supposed to be on the podcast. But I, re I remember I had to do it maybe six months, maybe the first six months or so. And especially in the beginning, if I, I think that for the first maybe two months, Let's say two months because I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. If I didn't push you to do it, if I didn't sort of make I sure wouldn't it do it. done, you wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But then the snowball started rolling and then everything was fine. So then I didn't have to really push you at all. Maybe I just suggested some topics or people or something like that. And then I just came on. And then at, at one point, And I actually remember I told you, you have to find someone else to do it. Have to find, and then I just say, okay, I'm not doing it any, anymore. And yeah, then you had yeah. to find someone else. Yeah. So that's how that. And goes. then I, re I remember just streamlining it. Like it just became, like it's easy now. That, there's still the, the biggest thing for me doing this now is prep, right? Yeah. I, I hate prepping for it. I hate, I know what I want. I hate making notes. So luckily I have BJ and Max helping. Max does, makes good notes, right? But now it's the point now, like I can do this with my eyes closed, right? And, um, yeah, it just kind of snowballed into that. And then obviously, yeah, I, I mean, I honestly, man, I can't, if you would have told me five years ago, like, this is not, when I saw the RC path, this is not the path I thought I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be managing the team and we're going to win a world championship. Right? No, I bet my path went somewhere else. Now, I remember you said to me, you're going to have all the benefits, good benefits of my and none of the negative. Right. You are going to be the supreme. I remember I kept saying, I'm the supreme overlord of JQ Racing. He said, well, you be the supreme overlord of, of Mayako. And it is true. I get all the good benefits, right? When, you know, when, 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 when David won the Euros and done, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm when he won e-buggy at DNC. I was so excited. I remember JQ, look, you know. Then he won the Euros and then like after, after he almost won the Worlds, right? I remember, when I, I, remember I, I was commentating on the Worlds and when he, when he lost, I just, I couldn't say nothing. I had to go sit down because it was just like, wow. So close, right? Mm -hmm. So close. Even though I'm not working for my alcohol, so close. Like all, all that hard work from the years be before, almost there, right? Uh, so, yeah. It 
and even now, like people's like, oh yeah, you, you, my alcohol done well, you should be happy. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy. But I want people to know I don't work for my alcohol, you know? And I I purposely don't know what's going on in my alcohol. So I can't, you know, like, well, how do I do this? I no idea. Go talk to this person. And people's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, I'm not being rude. I I just I don't know. You gotta talk to the people that are it, that's their that's what they're here for. You know, that's not my job anymore. I did that long enough and that's not my job. So in the beginning, as I said, I had to sort of push you to do it. What was the reason for that? Because you love RC, you follow it, you know all about it, and you do talk a lot, yet somehow the even though the podcast sort of was an idea you also had, still I had to push you to do it. I was nervous. So what was the reason for that? And then what changed so that you just, you know, started I was, doing it? So I always, because you're the setup guy, right? You are the setup guy and people want to hear setup questions. When it comes to setup, I, I don't, I zone out, right? Maybe because I don't race, right? So I do, when I, when I have something that I'm eager to hear, I, I, I listen to it. I felt like I needed you every time to do a podcast, right? Like you was, you know, you're the guy, you was obviously a, a bigger personality. I would say we're about equal personalities now. Maybe, you know, like people know me around the world. People know you obviously around the world. But at that time I was still just some guy from Dominican Republic who really liked RC and wasn't as, you know, I, it was like the early beginnings of lefty the great, I would say. So I felt that I needed you. I wanted you, you know, you had really great ideas about how you wanted things to be. And a lot of things, like I didn't, like, I remember times, I remember one day I was at the beach, man. I was, I'll not forget this. I was at the beach enjoying myself and you just ruined my whole day. Like, I'll not forget it. You messaged me. I think I was talking to Stephen Bess. And it was a great interview. And you messaged oh, yeah. me like effing me off. You need to effing follow up on this and that. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm at the beach enjoying myself on a Sunday with my family and you just went at this rant, right? And I'm like, but hold on, this was, I remember best getting off there and saying, man, that was a great interview. And I, and you know what? I, I got angry and it ruined my whole day. But then I realized a few days later, yeah, he's right, you know? And so that's where I, I started. I, I hope I improved a little bit on that. And yeah, I was also nervous to approach these guys to be on the podcast. I remember that too. But now I'm not. And even even now, I'm just getting remember how I always wanted to do a live with you or with somebody else? And I didn't do a lot of lives because of that. Now I'm I don't I love doing lives by myself. You know, I'm done like four in a row here the last month. And it's been fun. And I tell people, don't ask me about setup. I don't know. But if you want to talk shit and you want to talk about RC and you want to talk opinions, we'll talk about it. And it's been fun. It's like sitting off with 75 to 100 friends in the pits just talking shit. And, I remember that. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I remember that Stephen Bess interview. It was actually good. He was a good guest. But what pissed me off was that instead of getting the whole story out of it or sort of there's an obvious follow-up question because Stephen Bess is telling a story and he knows all about it, right? And mm -hmm. he tells it and there's sort of an obvious follow-up question you should ask to get the whole story, mm -hmm. but you don't. You just move on. It's like, what the fuck? And because I'm following noticed. my notes. 
Yeah, so it, it just happened a few times, and it was a good podcast, good interview. And I thought right. that could have been great just now, and that's why. I but at that time, that I'm just but like following my notes. That's it. That's my yeah. brain. It's like, there's my notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm following them, and I think I'm evolved from that. My notes are just a guideline. No. Yeah, that, that was kind of my point back then. Oh, well, you ruined that my time. day that day. Damn, you yeah. ruined my day. <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> I, I haven't it figured out how to get my point across without ruining someone's day. Oh, man, it was, it was rough. Time. My wife's like, what happened to you? And I was just like, that fucking JQ. Fuck yeah. I was so angry. So, so angry. what were the main struggles in the beginning? So getting over your sort of self-consciousness or shyness or, or just... Those, those things you mentioned, you know, approaching people, getting them on, um, finding sponsors. You know, yeah, finding sponsors. Having still something I struggle with, knowing my value, right? If you, are, if you think you have a low value, you're only going to get low value stuff, right? So as... I remember, like, as I've... As I've it's, it's not cocky, it's knowing your value, right? If people listen to what you, if, if I, I honestly think that you and I, this, this podcast and the people involved in it, me, you, Max, whoever, who, who's been on it throughout the, throughout the time that we have, we have done positive things in RC. We have done positive things. We, we do rants. We offer solutions. Maybe not, we may not be right on everything. We, we've, we've, we've done positive things. I think, Personally, Raw is in a better position, right? Not Raw. The Federation Raw is in a better position now than it has ever been in 15, 20 years. And it's because of us, well, me, not you too much, but me, you know, having, getting to know Clayton, seeing what he wants to do, helping, you know, pushing issues with that, holding their feet to the fire, all that type of stuff. You know, all these federations. I mean, we just had an epic rant against IFMA. I'll be surprised if I'm available to, if I'm, if Max and I are, able to go to any more if more events after that rant, right? It was an epic rant. But somebody has to do it, right? Somebody has to talk. Like I read a quote today. I'll bring it up right now. Um I, I posted it today and I got it. I actually saw it on an ex-girlfriend's Facebook and I was like, ah oh, man, that's a good, that's a good post. A good, a good uh quote. I, I'm going to use it. And it says, when we avoid difficult conversations, we trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. We don't even want to talk about things in RC. Everything's dialed. Everything's great. If you, I think if you really, am I going too far of myself here? Am I going too ahead of myself or should we segue into something? Else? I feel like I'm going off topic, but. That's okay. I, I feel that we've done People, some people may say you guys are negative and all you do is piss and moan and complain. No, we, we complain, but we offer solutions, right? We show ways that things can be, we plant seeds of change. And I think that in the last five to six years, this five years and of this podcast being around, RC has changed somewhat, maybe a bit, a, a fraction. Remember. Yeah, well, it's always been the idea. So you mentioned uh, Steve Mathis before from Pulp MX. He has mm-hmm. a the motocross supercross podcast and that's kind of, that's what they do too so i listen to it because they aren't the sort of mainstream corporate media type 
content where mm -hmm. you just um, you you tell the story sort of politically correct because all the companies are paying you and you, or you have advertising revenue you can't piss anyone off you are just sort of very vanilla mm -hmm. and and that isn't a very entertaining but b also you don't really get the real information then so the idea was always to create a podcast that can be entertaining is also informative but also can push for change and improvement so that has always really been uh at the back of my mind as as an important thing and i mean you knew it from the start and i've sort of just left you to it and yeah it's been good to see that you have taken on causes let's say and run with them and i agree that i think that this podcast has has positively affected change but also encouraged other people to you know do their youtube channels and podcasts and that kind of stuff because that's one thing that i am pretty sure we have uh uh caused like give me an example well just i can't even remember the names of a bunch of people like i just see rc people doing podcasts well brent from beach rc is he's one who has Will a podcast trigger? now very good podcast i i don't know i mean he has been on as a guest here he has been involved so i'm sure that has uh, played a part in his decision to do it but there's a, there's a whole whole bunch of them that i've seen mainly on I, youtube i think it's not just about that i think the change has come in the way people think right but i also think one of the be best things that this has done is allow these pro drivers to not be so vanilla all the time if you really check it these guys are slowly but surely saying what's on their mind. You know, you you go you go talk to Cole Ogden, he's gonna tell you what he thinks, right? Mayfield too. Uh Tebow is another one that tells you what he feels. Um some of these guys are still very vanilla. Even I will tell you what, even Ty Tasman's getting a little better. You know, it's it's a good interview. He can he can you know, but I think I think this industry was so vanilla, we can't say anything wrong, we can't do anything bad, we have to say everything's dialed. And I, I, I don't know if it's a podcast or, but I think, well, because we, let's be realistic. There's, there was, there's, I think we're, we're still kind of like one of the only independent medias out there. Like right? we're opinionated, you know, we, we talk about stuff that other people don't want to talk about, all that type of stuff. But I think that what, what, what's happened is I told Drake this at the worlds. Cause I said, you know what? I think your, your video about having referees is excellent. Right. And I said, you have a much bigger voice than me. You guys can make so much change in RC. I understand you have money to protect. But I said, we'll talk about it on the podcast. We'll take all the heat. We don't, we'll not make money, right? So you guys can have an easier, when it's time for you to open, for you to use your voice, is you're not going to get fired. You know what I mean? And I think, I truly think that that's what this podcast, other podcasts too, but I, I say this one because this one, I, you know, because it's, I, I believe that our podcast is listened to around the world. And 
we beat down those paths. Like we take the fire, like the fire that I got this weekend, this week. You know what I mean? We beat down that fire and beat down that path. So when it does come to guys who have a bigger voice, it they don't have to they they can do that safely. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sort of moves the Overton window to where it's acceptable to talk about this now. Yes. We've heard this before. It's this is sort of normal now. Mm-hmm. You know, this is on the table and then people can talk about it. So yeah, I agree. I think that's the change. And then obviously we see we see people. I think we see people now more paying more attention to European racing on a, you know, more, more Americans because it was like, nobody really talking about what's going on over there in Europe. We talk about it to the point where I, you know, we got accused of being, you know, just Europe favorite or whatever. No, I love ORC. I love ORC. There's just nobody else talking about the Euro guys. Cause we, you know, obviously you're European, Max is European. And I have a lot of close relationships over there in Europe as well, as well as in America. But it, RC is is worldwide, right? You know? And I think we need to look at it from a worldwide stance. And then I think our industry is so far behind the times, right? So far behind compared to the rest of the world that, you know, with our federations and stuff like that, we have to, we have to hold our feet to nobody. Like every you know, like like for instance, everybody was not happy with Raw and people will voice that opinion, but nobody was listening. Like to that extent, because nobody really, really wanted to say it, right? Because they don't want nothing to happen to them or whatever. Yeah, but we started saying it like, like, like I remember, like you know, like and now, like we started saying it really loud, and that allowed everybody else to say it loud. I think without repercussions, yeah. and even like this latest Ifmar rant, it's, it's. You know, like our if Marfa lefty thing, like that was one of the craziest campaigns that we ever done. Like, you know, and I think that's actually when you realize that this podcast is getting popular. Yeah, we had the vote for lefty for if my president and even a Facebook page and everything. And if my <laughs> had the Facebook page taken down. Yeah, yeah that was crazy. Yeah, it was fun. That was and a fun and campaign I was- because I think the point was just to show that it's actually impossible for someone to become IFMA president, someone who just, like, democratically you cannot become yeah. IFMA president. It's not possible. But, because they have a board that well, uh, basically picks a person to do it. That's crazy. Even this last raw presidency, right? They were, like, it was obvious that Clayton won. But they were not letting the results go by. They were not letting the results out. So I just made a Facebook post. I said, what's going on, raw? It's been such and such days, two weeks since the vote. What's going on? That day, votes came out. So they listen. People listen. I'm pretty sure Ifmar listened to the last round last week. They listen. And what I tell people all the time, I said, yeah, don't don't look at 4,000 subs and, you know, the numbers, the social media, because this is a podcast that's never going to have 100,000. I would love for it to have 100,000 subs and all that type of stuff, right? But we're hard, we're talking about hardcore racing here, right? That's a niche of a niche of a niche, and we're we're talking about topics that four or five years ago were taboo. Nobody would talk about them publicly, right? But yeah, we I think we took the heat, so things are more open now. I I really do. So, what do you think about the future of the podcast? Then I've I've seen that you have now been. Uh doing some race coverage. You have been doing some announcing. So 
you have also been doing other things than just the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk a bit about both the future of the podcast itself, where you want to take it, and also your other things that you do, you know, race coverage and announcing and that stuff. Well, I know this isn't positive, but sadly, I think the podcast... I would love for it to grow more. So people see, I remember somebody was talking, oh, well, you got all these sponsors. No, no, no. Don't, don't think like I'm making a whole bunch of money off this. You, you and I both have this discussion, right? It's not a lot of money in RC, right? And especially when you're controversial, like we are, even though we're not, you know, we're not that bad, as bad anymore. I'm pretty sure that I, we piss people off on a regular basis, but that's fine too, because not everybody's going to, like you say, in order to make omni, you have to break some eggs. I, this podcast, you see these sponsors, yeah, we, 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 it doesn't make a bunch of money, right? It unfortunately doesn't. It doesn't make a bunch of revenue off YouTube. It's only 4,000 subs. It's only, each thing is like 1,500 listeners, maybe 2,000 listeners. Then the audio side has, you know, so maybe the, the, the podcast makes $100 a month. Right, we got our office we're paying for. We got internet that's expensive we're paying for. We got subscriptions that are got to be paid. Uh, obviously, the money that went into equipment has to be paid back. <clears throat> I have Max that I pay every month. I have a, a BJ that's working with us. I'm helping him out his paying. I pay another guy to do my thumbnails and stuff. Not much, but it's something, right? I I really would like. Uh, you know, like I would watch, for instance, I watched a, a Mark Santa Maria podcast. Uh, he does a lot. I, I love what Mark Santa Maria does. He has he he caters to a completely different crowd, right? Basher crowd. He's doing a good job. He's he's killing it, right? I like him. My boy, I'm gonna have him back on again. I watch him and his wife do a a live, right? A sun a Saturday morning live, just him and his wife, right? And they had about 150, maybe 200 people on around that, right? I'm just saying. I watched the Basha crowd. I watched them make like $450 in super chats in like an hour. And I'm just like, wow, that's impressive. You know, that's good. I watched a lot of YouTube where guys have super chats and all that stuff. <clears throat> and I watched us one time. I think it was the, maybe that time we've done a few live shows, but I think the live show we was actually her. And we did two hours of 200 plus people on, you know, <clears throat> Uh, absolute comedic, you know, like information, funny, you know, keeping attention, answer questions. And I think we made like 30 bucks, right? That's, that's not sustainable, you know? And I really think, excuse me, I think people always say, well, people have this misconception that everybody in RC is making a whole bunch of money. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that this podcast does not make a whole bunch of money. It is not paying my bills. We invested a lot of money into traveling last year. Yes, I had some help, you know, but I felt it was important to get to these races, do coverage, do uh, do all that type of stuff, get boots to the ground, get experience, you know, that type of stuff, go into these different races so I can talk about it more. It is rewarding me back this year. I've had every trip that I've been on this year has been paid for. I've made some money on some of them, not all of them, you know. Um, the commentary thing is nothing, but... I really need this, like, I really wish that, <clears throat> I, I I think if I was doing this this podcast in a different 
industry, I would not be talking about not making enough money to pay my bills. And you and I have had this conversation, period. You know, it's, it's not enough for a company to survive. They have to thrive, right? But I also understand when you're going to be controversial, you're going to go against the grain, you're going to do all that type of stuff. The one thing you're probably going to struggle with is financially. Well, you would struggle regardless. I mean, look at Neobuggy, uh, for example, or that model in general, Red RC. Mm -hmm. uh, news media in RC, there's no more money in it because the brands in RC don't advertise anymore. They right. spend that money on doing their own Facebook videos and YouTube channels and that kind of stuff, which is unfortunate because it's not healthy for the industry to not have uh, sort of independent media and race coverage. If people have to go on personal Facebook pages and brand Facebook pages to figure out race results and stuff, it just, it doesn't work. Yeah. That's why we don't have so, real magazines in RC no more. Yeah. Even with, digital magazines. Boom in RC started with uh, magazines we had the internet, started having websites dedicated to RC and race coverage online in magazines, YouTube videos. You know, that was sort of the model. That that was when it worked the best. Mm -hmm. That If this podcast uh, was going on and this YouTube channel was going on 10 years ago, mm -hmm. it could work. Yeah. But now it can't anymore because now the brands are not supporting these kind of uh, uh, media companies, I should say, because mm -hmm. they are doing their own in-house media. I would agree. And um, I am very appreciative of the companies that do support, right? Because without them, they wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do this, right? I also am very appreciative of the people that pay through Patreon and that are YouTube members because there's people pay monthly and the, that that money does help you know what i mean that money comes to me it's not much but that money does help right but so if, this is why you transitioned into doing sort of other things also like the yes. announcing and race coverage yeah so the race coverage i don't know i think people just like so the race coverage i like right but it's it's work right it's a lot of work right going there doing that stuff like at the worlds i'm gonna sleep at two you know editing stuff all that type of stuff and i'm not no i'm not no big video editor i can cut paste do that type of stuff i have what you do you're very good at that and what like guys like my boy danny and all these guys they're just super talented right i know what looks good but i don't really know how to make that i don't have that imagination to make that happen my 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 specialty my 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 talent is talking that's what it is that is my talent. My talent is talking. My talent is giving people attention and able to talk about any subject out there. That is my talent. I, am, I think I'm pretty good at it. I'm not claiming to be some big video editor. I like to go do some laps. My walkabouts, you know, it's with a GoPro. We walk about. I, I, my, my only pet peeve would be getting better audio with my walkabouts. Lucas Lauren showed me how to do that. But I have no wish to make documentaries, none of that stuff. I, I applaud people to do that. I was watching a Ryan Styles Harris video today, and I just look at his, his video quality and all that. I'm just like, man, this guy's... <laughs> like, you know, his, his quality is so great, right? Um, but then 
yeah, that's kind of where it had. Like, I really would like to, like, I see, I see all these bashing guys, right? Kevin Talbot, Sparks, uh, Tom Lee RC. It's a lot of guys I watch are doing bashing and their numbers are great. And some of these guys are doing this full time. So I've told you many times, maybe I have to bat, like get into that and then I'll enjoy RC and do that. But sometimes I'll be honest with you, JQ, by the time I do a four hour, five hour podcast for a week, my creative energy is gone. And I look at it like them guys make a 20 minute video, right? Or three videos like that a week. But I sit down here and I do a four hour podcast talking about RC. And by the time I'm done, I'm drained. I'm drained. Like after I finish this, I'm going to be doing my live with Barry later on tonight. Tomorrow I'm going to be drained, like creatively drained. Because I, I believe you have to also be into this, right? If, if you're not going to be doing it, like there's times you'll come and I'm like, all right, we're not recording because you're not into it. We'll do it tomorrow. Right. Or if you would never know if I'm had a bad day on this podcast. Because once I get in front of that that camera in front of this mic, all that goes away. Right? And this is passion. We're passionate about this. We're fucking passionate. Like we geek out on this shit, right? I geek out on this stuff. You geek out on this stuff. Passion. That's what keeps us alive. I would love, like, I would love for every one of these sponsors to be paying me five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars a month, right? Not all of them, but that would be great. Then the the podcast could be sustainable, right? Then it can make its money. It can pay for me to go to races. I can do my own thing, stuff like that. But that's just not just not possible. You see these sponsors that they're not, not <laughs> don't don't get it twisted, people. We're not making a bunch of money here, right? People may think. And another thing, I think when people think you're making money, they kind of withdraw the support from you, right? A little bit. No, no, no. I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. I still do. I think about RC 24-7, seven days a week, but I'm not, you know, I don't, my product is this, right? And it's, I, I wish, I wish it would get more support from the industry and I wish it, it would, uh, I, like, if you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is become a YouTube member or a patron. That, that That's honestly. That. The problem with online content is that. So much of it is free. People just want it for free, you know, understandably. So no, it's a big that. hurdle to uh, have someone actually financially support support you. I mean, it's the same with Invisible Speed, for example, the online course. Brilliant. Uh, Brilliant. It should yeah, be selling out. Massive, massive amount of work, but also massive potential for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube is free. People watch that. They love it. Positive comments. We want more of this. This is great. Can you do that? Can you do more of that? Well, yes. uh, But doing that is not sustainable unless I win the lottery or something and just feel like doing YouTube videos. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any money. The YouTube channel makes $200 a month or something. You know, that's nothing. Um, So... The only way that those kind of videos can really exist and more of them and better ones and let's do a gyro test and let's see if Ronifal can be faster with a gyro, you know, these kind of things, which would be really fun. Or let's make a, an actual tire test. 
let's get the best tires from every brand and drive them and do lap times and comparisons like actual good content for races that's mm-hmm. entertaining but also informative and interesting it can all be done but it takes time and effort and, the, Money. and it cannot be done properly well for free it's no, no. this is this some is my people job. will do a bit i have done a lot you can go and watch there are some good videos on the youtube channel uh people can watch all of your podcasts that's great if you want more you have to support somehow and that's where the online course for example come comes in when people buy that enough that's something that can fuel the free youtube channel you know, if people use sorry to cut if people use the affiliate link to get the online course i got a slice of that that helps me exactly out, you know exactly. so and i i think with but when you see the bashing side of things they're more like let's be honest rc racing is we say it's cheap but it's still expensive right people people rc racers are spending the money on racing right but i think when i see guys that have everything matching in their pits and that's it's absolutely nothing wrong with that right and you you switch you switch brands every every year but you love what you're doing right on the online con you like what i'm doing but yeah you're not going to buy the online course and you're not going to you know you you're not going to give me a dollar 99 on youtube and i or 5 bucks on patreon and get me wrong there's people that do right there's plenty of people there's a good bit of people that do it i'm super appreciative of that Right. But it's like at the end of the day, the money between the Patreon and what I make on this, this sponsorship is, is not enough to pay my bills. Right. Because by the time you pay, pay the rent here and it, like my rent and the internet to cost to have good internet here are the exact same price. You know what I mean? Because I have to pay extra to get a, a better line into her or, you know, whatever. I have to pay that price because that's the only price I can get her. Then on top of that, like paying subscriptions, paying this, it's, 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 it's different. This is my, this isn't something that I do for a hobby. This is what I do for a living. Right. And I just always think sometimes, man, if I was in a, if this was in a different industry or a different time, like you said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be having these struggles. Right. And so that's led to, okay. Uh, going to races, starting with the coverage. Right. And then, um, and another, look, I just want people to understand. I am thankful for all the support, everybody that buys a hat that says my Logan logo, sorry, says the slogan, uh, that, that rocks decals, all that type of stuff. I fucking thank you. That listens, that downloads, all that stuff. The best thing you can do for me to help this podcast out. If you, if you can't do it monetarily is hit that sub button, hit that notification button, hit that like button, leave a comment, share this stuff, right? Cause I'm pretty sure there's more than 4,000 people worldwide that are into RC car racing like we are, right? A lot of people, like, when they saw that 4K, they're like, man, you should have way more subs. I'm like, I know, but I don't, right? If you want to help me out, do that. If you want to go further, go further. I appreciate it, right? Like, like why doesn't doesn't Wygan have a whole podcast that's only patrons? Uh, is it one of them guys that's on Steve Mathis? So, yeah. yeah, He has a podcast that's only run by Patreon. Right. And look, man, people like I appreciate these companies that are, are that have found some budget to give me some money. But the only way 
and also the more you share this, the more you like it, the more you get it out there, the more value it gets, right? The more, the more money that these, these, these companies would be like, oh, wow, you know, he's worth it. He's valuable. It's, it's weird because I'm going to give you another example. My buddy, Weldon, he, he's, he's a digital, he's into the, he's into the digital career. He's like into diving and conservation and all that stuff. So he sent me, he sent me a, a pay, like, uh, this this show a daily show in Bermuda called the Daily Hour. They do an hour show every week, right? Every day, from Monday to Friday. There are also personalities in Bermuda, politically linked and all that type of stuff, right? Dude, when I saw how much they charge for a sponsorship, dude, I nearly fell out of my 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 chair. And then I went and looked at their numbers, like how their much YouTube. Do they charge. Dude, this is like, a Stephen Best moment. Dude, they. I think like they're a top tier chart. This is Bermuda. Now Bermuda's a lot of money. And this is the, the we're talking about multi-million dollar companies that are that they're going to, right? So that's just so people know this, right? Thirty-five thousand dollars for the year. Thirty-five thousand dollars to have their name on her. And then that ticker that they use the same exact software as I use, that ticker going across there. That was their top tier. I was like, Psh. and that was like 2022. It's probably going up now. So I went and looked at their numbers. Right. And my, bo- my, my buddy was all excited about this. And I'm like, dude, in my little studio with just me and I get more, like I looked at my number, you know, I just I, numbers, right. Cause when kind of look at, right. You look at your numbers. I was like, it's like, Oh yeah, well they got, they got like a hundred people watching their lives. I said, we so do we, you know what I mean? But I think, we're also, um, we're also talking about a different industry and we're also talking about people that are also connected to multi-million dollar companies that make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. I think so, that Neobuggy's top tier was about 25 to 30,000 a year. Really? You know, Neobuggy's heyday. Yeah. I saw what they were charging for their, um, for their coverage, right? And look, Neil Buggy and what and Phil Dunn, who I really want to get him on this podcast, his coverage was top tier, right? But he had enough money where he could hire somebody to go with him and help him out. Or he had people like, like people don't, it's, it's a chicken me. and egg problem. People want more, but it's not possible really to give more unless there's the funding for it. So yeah. then people don't want to support because there's not more, but then there's not the funding for it. So it just never happens, you know? So, right. Like if I had somebody, if I had somebody that was like working with me on this full time, helping like where I can pay them. Uh, okay. Part time, but you know what I mean? Like, or even if I, have, if I could have enough money to get a virtual assistant, things would be better. Right. I could have, you know, we can make more reels. We could do more social media stuff. I can go out there and do more stuff. Like I could go to these, I can go to these races and then I have somebody like everybody says websites are, are dead, but we have an, I would love to have a proper working website, right? That people can go and get all the information when I go to a race and all that stuff. But I, I can't do that on my own. right? I need somebody to help me do that. Right. So it's, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. A lot of this is just mostly me, right? Yes. Max BJ, my boy, Danny helps out stuff like that. We use the NNRC Discord. I have people giving me tips and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I've been on every one of these episodes of the podcast. I have introduced every one of them. 
I am doing this out of passion. I am doing this because also it allows me to be here around my family. Right. And I get to do something that I love, but I will say this. I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And look, people, I want everybody to understand this. Just like you go to work. This is our job. When I go to a race, it's, it's work too. You know, I'm not going there to, to race and have, I have fun. I love being at a race, but I'm there to do something. Right. So I still have to get that done. And that's a great, I, I hope the podcast can, it's, the podcast is sustaining itself, right? JQ, it's sustaining itself, but I need it to thrive. Right now, I understand that maybe I'm going to make all my money from this. So that's why I'm looking at other avenues to make money. Right. Which is leading me to the commentary, which actually uh, I have to give all the credit to Isherwood because he's the one who pushed me into the commentary booth in 2019 with Nick at RCGP. And then we did that one race and I didn't do it again till uh, last year at RCGP. And I think the, the crappiest thing about RCGP was that it was pay-per-view and nobody really got to see that live. Right? So then, um, fast forward, when I went to the Worlds, so a lot of people, I went to the Worlds to do my coverage, which I did. I did a bunch of videos, right? And then, when they started the stream, I, you know, Nick was like, hey, uh, you can come up. You know, I work with Nick that whole year on RCGP. And he's like, you know what, Keenan, you can come up and you can spend an hour or two up here or help me out, right? But I think when I got up to to do that and I'm on the world stage, it was so it was different. It was like 15, 2,000, 2,500 people watching at a time, right? And the the issue was like, I like how Nick commentates and a lot, he he definitely is worldwide known for that. But I think for the American listeners, it was a bit difficult because of his accent and because they don't get his humor. But I also, what I was able to do at the Worlds, right, JQ, was take all these plots and twists and storylines that I had in my brain over the last four years, you know, giving all these guys nicknames and doing all that type of stuff. I, I just treated it like a, a day-long podcast. Yes, re- calling the race with Nick, having fun online, interacting with people. And that's kind of when people got a chance to say, well, oh man, Keenan does this as well, right? Because they didn't get to see it during RCGP because unfortunately the numbers weren't there because of pay-per-view. So the world's boosted that. And then obviously uh, PMB working with Scotty was also another boost. So I got to work with two, two of the best commentators I feel in, R- in RC, Nick Damon and Scotty Ernst. So I think Scotty and I had a very good, uh, very good work work ethic. He like people made. So let me tell you something. Like I, you, because you don't get to see him and he's calling these races. But I remember him, like getting ready for the call to Truggy Pro Truggy Amen, and he stood up, and I'm like, oh, oh, we can stand up and do this. Like I can let my passion out. Like and do if you would have if somebody should have videoed us because we're calling this race and the arms are going. And, you know, we're going and we're up and we was up there for the whole, whatever that length of that race was. And we're, we're going. And then it would be like, pass over to her, pass over to her. And I was like, okay, so I can geek out over this stuff. I can geek out her. It's okay. 
And I really enjoyed that. And that's Scotty showed me that it's okay to get super emotional about that. And it's okay to be into it. Because I saw him do it, right? And I was like, well, that's what that's that's how I feel. You know, I don't want to control that. I want to feel like that. So um then obviously IBC came along and I had to do that on my own. And I was like, all right, I got this. And then you couldn't see because you was out there, but I was, dude, I was if you if you could have seen me at IBC, like I was I was all by the time I finished commentating that that, that race, the last race, the, the 45 minute man, I spent the, the the cameraman's young daughter, she's looking at me like I was crazy, dude. I was like, you if I was like, because I had a mic like this, I was like, no, and then you'd see me like I'd be like, no, like I'd be done almost on the ground, like talking, and I was so emotional, I was into it, right? I was so into it. And I think that kind of went people felt I had a lot of people message me like, man, you, you're so emotional. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it was a great race, right? It was a great race. So then of course I was, had the privilege of working with live RC again. I got to do the nationals and then I got there and they're like, Oh, you're going to do it on your own. And I was like, Ooh. So I kind of had to say that that was, was that hard. A lot different. Well, yeah, because it, it was three days of constant talking. Right. And we we also went out to the, the day before and got a lot of interviews and stuff like that. And it was, I treated it like, I remember the first day afterwards, Lance McDonald sent me a message. He's like, save your voice. He's like, save your voice. I can hear you getting excited already. He says, save your voice. Of course, I didn't listen. <laughs> I couldn't. And it's like my boy Danny goes, he goes, I don't know how you talk. All day. Even uh uh the the other y'all the other y'all um out in Portugal who who got me out to IBC, he goes, How do you talk all day? I was like, I love this shit, man. I love this stuff. Like I love this. I love talking to people online. I love I this is the craft I'm honing too, right? I'm 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 not gonna lie. The play-by-play stuff, it's, it's, it's not as natural for me as maybe a Scotty, as a nickname, and, and the numbers, you know, knowing the difference in the race times and all that stuff. It takes me a little bit to do that, figure that out, but I'm earning it. So I, I make up for it in the color. I try to make up for it in the color. I remember uh, Greg messaging me and saying, you're, you're talking too much. I was like, I have no other way to talk about this. Like, I'm so excited about it that I can't stop talking about it, right? And it's like, you don't have to announce every corner. I'm like, but I do. Like, I feel like I do. And so then I backed it on a little bit. And so, but I'm not, you know, Nick has his way of doing things. Scotty has his way of doing things. I'm developing my way of doing things. And the only way I can do it is to let my passion come out, right? And I'll probably get things wrong. And I'll probably get numbers wrong. But I'm trying to tell people at home, the story of what I'm watching on, on the screen. And a lot of what people have to understand, I'm not out there watching the race. Like at PMB, I was looking at a screen and at the nationals, I'm looking at a screen. I prefer like at the worlds where you can see the track as well, because you can see so much that's not going on. And I also prefer to be like, to be a little bit more in control of the cameraman. Because I can see the battles on the scoring 
and I know who's close, and I want to get that, you know, because sometimes just following Forrest is, not, you know, he's in Forrest. So, yeah. uh, um, so if RCGP I was able to do that, if Live RC they don't want you to do that too much, they the producer does that, right? But I'm so excited. I'm like, like I'm, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I can see the battle coming out of the corner of my eye, and I'm trying to get it there because that's more exciting than following first. So uh, I'm looking forward to Wicked Weekend, which is coming up. By the time this is out, I'll be at Wicked Weekend. This is the first time I'm going to be doing commentary with Danny. Uh, I want to say, I have to say thank you to Danny and Lance and Dave as well and Jacob for accepting me to do this. But Lance was even, you know, I was like, Danny, it's time to bring the commentary to your live stream. Because I think what that dude does, what Danny Paz does is it's great work. And, and him, myself, Lance, and everybody else involved, we, we make a great team. So Lance is the RD. He does that. Lance is a great RD. Great calls, great races. is exciting and all that stuff. But what, what transitions on the screen, what's going on in the race, what he's watching doesn't necessarily transition to the screen as good. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're going to be doing that at Wicked Weekend. we got a lot of cool ideas. Obviously, Dave's got a lot of cool ideas. Jacob, who's his media guy, he's got a lot of cool ideas. And also one of the things I want to do is I want to give and Scotty does this. He does it. Um, I think Nick does it. But you give everybody as love, right? I know, like a lot of these these racers that support me, that support the podcast, they're out there racing, right? And I want to talk about them. I know that they come from here and they do this and they do that, right? And I think also the difference is is that I am also do it like the commentary isn't my main thing. I am in. I am. I am involved in RC twenty four seven. Right, twenty four seven. So it's like I go there and I know that this happened last week and this happened this week and this, you know, all that type of stuff. So that comes out, and then my just the storylines that I have playing in my brain, like you know, this person, like like Wiggins, the Wizard, Cole, the Beast from the East, Ryan, the Mayfield, Mayfield, Fen, you know, all that, all that stuff. Like I try to incorporate that because I think that makes it exciting. I think it, I and I think it makes it exciting for the people online as well. And that's just a craft I'm, I'm honing. I'm still learning that. So I don't know where that's going to lead. Hopefully it leads to me getting more opportunities because what, the, what it does is I get to a race, right? I get to socialize because I tell people I may not be making a lot of money, but I'm rich in relationships, right? So I get to be around my extended RC family because I've been here for two months now, JQ, and I am itching to get back to the track. Like I cannot wait to get on the plane and get out of here. I have been home too long. I got to be around people that, that I, that support what I do. You know, like, dude, when we went, like we went to PNB this year, it was crazy. My kill was with me. Right. So he's like lefty. You realize you just spent four hours and he says, you couldn't walk 20 feet without talking to somebody. He says, you got out of the car. You talk to somebody. He says, you got from the car to the steps, you talk to somebody. You got um, below the steps, you're talking to somebody. He says, you got in the pits, people's giving you beers. Doing the, I, that's love, man. That's love. Like, I, that warms my heart. I want to be around that more. That's my people. Like, you know what I mean? That's like, that's like being around, like, that's my element. Like, that's my happy place. Like, getting around all that stuff. That's why the only downfall about doing the commentary is not being around people like that. 
once you start doing the commentary. That is the only downfall with that. Especially when you're in an area like that's locked off like that and people can't come and see you. That's the only downfall. So like at the Nationals, I, every time I had a chance or five minutes, I go outside. You know? I go outside. I go check on guys, see how they're doing. Like go down and say what's up to the Mayako guys. Go say what's up to these people. Go to the bathroom. I go say what's up to these people. I would just make a loop, five-minute loop, and get back in and do what I got to do. Because I, I need that too. You know? I need that. That's that's what I love. Like, I love being around the people. I love it. I love going around talking to people, seeing how their day went, see how things happen. If, if you could choose just one thing to do in the RC media world, then what would that be? Oh, man, that's a hard question. I would do what gets me to races every month. So some some kind of race coverage. So podcast. Let's say you do the podcast when you're home. Uh, and then you would go to races and do what? I would do commentary. With a little bit of, see, I would do commentary, but see, the beautiful thing about the commentary is too, it's like what we have planned coming up here for Wicked Weekend. We're going to go out and do pit walks, stuff like that, you know, and get them pre-recorded. I, I like doing the, I love doing the interviews too, you know? So, Ideally, what would be great would be to be working with two people. One person could be doing commentary. I could go out and, and grab, you know, interviews. Because I think that's my specialty is talking to people as well. You know, making people feel comfortable. Coming up with crap. Like, I, I ain't scared to say things. Like, you know what I mean? Or I, I'm also not scared to make mistakes. And another thing that I do, which has been very helpful, is... I can speak Spanish. So it's times I've come to, we saw it at IBC. Uh, Canas felt more comfortable speaking in Spanish than English. So I've done the interview in Spanish. Now my, my Spanish is not perfect, but it's, I can, you know, I can talk to a person with respect in Spanish. And I've done that. I've done that at uh, FRCC for Lance's race. And I done that at uh, masters of not masters. Of, did I do it in that master? No, Florida carpet championships. And I had guys from Puerto Rico message me and be like, man, thank you for doing that interview. That guy can't like, he couldn't speak English. So you, you was able to have a good interview with him in Spanish. So I don't know, man, that comment, I would, I would do the, like, I like what I'm doing now, right? The podcast going to, I would like to go to a race a month. If I go to a race or two, that'd be great. But I think where my real skill at going to a race would be working with the live stream. I, I enjoy that. I think working with the live stream in any, in, in any capacity. I like the commentary. I could do it on my own now. I could do it with a partner. Uh, I can also play interview role as well. Okay. Uh, so basically you want to do everything that you're doing now <laughs> yeah i think the one thing that i wouldn't i wouldn't really do focus on would be doing my coverage right like do yeah. it i think getting i i found that okay maybe the day you get there getting some laps of a guy you know some guys uh going around uh, maybe doing a pit walk and doing those reels right getting that you know getting those, those reels are what really really what that 60 second reels is what's getting the attention yeah 
So this traveling to races, doing the announcing and coverage, is that somehow a separate thing from your podcast thing or is it the same or how does that work? No, I think it's separate because the going to the races doing commentary is me, right? Now, any footage or anything that I do is going to go up on the No Name RC socials and No Name RC podcast anyway, right? Because I don't have my own personal stuff. So whatever, so everybody, it both benefits, right? I'm going there, I'm probably rocking NNRC stuff. I'm giving out decals to everybody. So NNRC benefits from me being at those races. People, and then it benefits also because I'm able to come home and then I'm able to recap that race properly because I was there, right? Or I heard this or, you know, I saw this and I saw that. So I think there probably has to be some, like, that's why I was like, oh, I'm going to do LTG media services or whatever, right? That would be something completely different from that. Like, I think, I think in life you have to, it comes back to, you have to have multiple streams of income. You can't just have one. So, you know, I've expressed, you know, you think it's a, it's, it's stupid, but like, I would like to go do toy hunts and do my other hobby, my other passion, like action figures and stuff like that. I like to go do stuff like that. You know, I love to go. I know I keep saying this, like I got this big yellow boat behind me that I still haven't put in the water. It's supposed to be this week, but it's raining. I would love to just, you know, go out and do that. People's been asking about this boat for a long time. And you're going to put it in the water. I want to do that stuff. But I think by the time I get done doing a podcast, I'm just drained, creatively drained. So is there a chance that you end up doing something other than RC in the future? I think so. I think so. I would. But using the skills you've learned in RC or something completely I think using this because you've been I mean you've been uh, working in a prison as a prison guard that's mm-hmm. actually why you said that you were able to deal with me because you had experience <laughs> dealing with delinquents dude I'm then a fire fireman right you were digging t- tunnels yeah you've uh, what what else I an entrepreneur anymore. oh yeah you had your uh, internet cafe You've done all kinds of different things. And now yeah. you've been in RC. So what what's next? I don't know. What I would really I would I think for me, what I like to do, to be honest, I would like to stay in RC, right? I I believe in what Mark Santamaria is preaching. I believe that we have this untapped market of bashers that have RC cars, but are too nervous to come to races, right? Because we're RC nerds and we want to, you know, we just want to be all about ourselves and tell everybody how much our car costs, right? I would love to just stay in RC, but I think it has to be a multifaceted RC thing. It has to be the podcast. It has to be doing the commentary. It has to be maybe dabbling in the basher world. It has to be, you know, I would, I think I would also like to, um, the action figure world because that's big. Like I would like you thought I was crazy. Like if I could go kill two birds with one stone, I could go to an RC race, then go to a toy con and do some vlogging and do you know stuff like that. Whatever. I don't know, but I know I wanted to do to do with my what I enjoy, right? And the skills that I've learned here, it's like like I think like I could take and produce a podcast. You know, 
I can do a, I can produce your podcast if you need me to. Like from yeah. start to finish, I could do that. But I don't really have interest in doing that. I want to, my interest is I like, I do enjoy being in front of the mic. I'm now comfortable in front of the camera. That took some getting used to as well. <clears throat> but I can see maybe branching out into other things, you know, other hobbies, but still doing this at the same time. Okay. Um, so I think it's time for some quick questions. Okay. Okay. This is not your strength. Uh, I think that you would rather go on for like 45 minutes on each question, but let's make this quick. Okay. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. So first of all, how many, how many episodes have you done now? Uh, this, by the time this comes out, it will be 248, 248. So not including the 15 that I done with starting grid. So 247 more than I expected, which is good. Yes. Very good. Which one, if you can only pick one, is your favorite? Honestly, so I I I think the Jason Snyder one was my favorite because I was I was not expecting him to be the way he was, but the most popular podcast was the Ryan Mayfield podcast. And I have to add, anytime we get old like Dagani, Dagani was funny or Barry or any of them old school guys, I love it. Yeah. Okay, um, which guest, so interview, has been your favorite? Not like the whole podcast, but just the guest, your favorite guest. To just talk to? Mm. I would have to say probably Degani. Degani? Yeah, yeah he's, he's fun. Um. The best race that you have attended? The Worlds. So that, far. Was that actually your first Worlds? Yes. Redovan Worlds. Okay. Yeah, let's try and get me to, to the Euros in uh, Redovan in September. Or, to, uh, or in August, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I all, also always like the Worlds. All the Worlds I've been to. Can I say why I liked it? Yeah. That's for the, the first time I've been to an RC event where I, I didn't feel like I was at an RC event. I thought I was at a full-scale event. The atmosphere was incredible. Like, the amount of people that were there on Saturday and Sunday was incredible. Like, how many people flew in? Like, Phil flew in because he knew something. Yeah. He's like, either Ronald going to go to... This is, this is what people said. Either Ronald going to be a two-time champion or we're going to see a back-to-back champion. That's every People flew in just for that. People from Sweden mm-hmm. flew in for that. Like my buddy Axel flew all the way from LA, slept on our, you know, room to fast, slept on the porch. You don't, you don't see that happening at many of Like, yeah, DNC on a good, when it's a good, like well, a Saturday on a DNC, level. huh? Not a to Saturday, that level. Not to that level. When I, I looked on, because I was up on the tower, right? So when I looked on and you saw the amount of people at that, um, at the, selling the bears and all that stuff, the amount of people around there buying bears, 
Then all the bleachers are full and oh, just a amount of people milling around on this Saturday and Sunday. I forgot that I was completely at an RC event. I thought I was at something that should be on ESPN or be seen around the world. It should be. They have cornhole and uh, sanding machines. Yeah, I saw that on our Discord. Yeah, yeah. Sand, sanding belt racing. Yeah, yeah. What is... Now, this doesn't have to be a moment that you were involved in, just that you know of, but it can be one you were involved in also. What is your favorite ever RC moment? Um, I almost want to say that Max won intermediate at DNC. Yeah, that ranks so high. Yeah, it was very special because he saved the day. And then, but it's also a toss up between that and Ronafalk, like, coming second. I think to be so close, to be that close, and the, the that race that he put on, like, like, man, that guy gave Angaro all he could he could give, like from eleventh on the grid to that. Like he he was them guys went across top drivers like they weren't even there. Yeah. You know, and if you if you 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 just if you wasn't there, you could like it was amazing. Like the those two guys, those two guys went across some of the best in the world. Like they were out there, like, on a Sunday drive. Like, and to see somebody put up that type of fight, that just, that just, like, yes, a lot of respect for Ongaro for what he done, right? Because I like Ongaro and all that type of stuff. But I think that Worlds, yes, he was a two-time, he became the first two-time back-to-back champion. But the fight, the the heart that we saw Ranafalk show was fucking incredible. Like, in, like I said, I said this afterwards. I said you might not have won the worlds, but you won the hearts of many people. And uh, it would have been great to see him win that. Because I'll be honest with you, he probably does probably fought the hardest to win that. Just that that there's two mistakes, like you know, just like I knew when he came up off that straightaway and he blew, he like ran up over the doorway and got caught. I was like, it's over, it's over right there. Man, that was so awesome. That was so awesome. Like, so close. That's so, so close. So close. But Max, definitely, that, obviously winning the Euros, too, was good. But yeah. I wasn't there. So it was kind of... What about... People get DNC. What about the most controversial? RC Has to be, you, you get in DQ'd at DNC. That, like, what shook the world. That shook you. You went missing for a long time. Yeah, I was so angry. Uh, what about your bucket list? So you have done a lot. Now you've attended the Worlds. What's your bucket list in RC? The things that you still want to... Uh, I want to go to a 180 scale Euros. I would like to go to Asia. Australia, Philippines, Asia. Philippines next year. I would love to go to that race. Let's go, guys. Let's make it happen. Um... And another world. I would, I think I would like to go to, I wanted to go to the 10 scale worlds this year, but I don't think it's going to happen because I think I'm going to Peach State Classic. 
I would like to go to a 10 scale world and I like to go, I would like to go to a, a eight scale onward world and a large scale world. Like a large scale, large scale world, large scale onward world. Okay. So basically all the worlds you want. To yeah. I would like, yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to go to the 12 scale worlds at the end of this year. Not a big class that I'm into, but I'll get to meet like Hackenberg and um, be a part of, I think be do go with that. But yeah, I see that the, the Costa Ricans are applying for the 10 scale nitro sedan world. They have a beautiful facility down there next year. I would love to go to that. Yeah, I think I would like to go to every world there is. Okay. But Even definitely. Scale on road? Huh? Even 12th scale? On yeah, road? yeah, yeah. I think that's in Florida this year. I think I'm going to be there. I think I'm going. Okay. But every world and then Asia. And then I would love to go to Europe, to some more countries in Europe, like France, Germany. Yeah. I want to come up to Finland, I, you know. Okay. So it's been over three hours, but I bet you still have something, some kind of topic that we haven't covered, something you still have want to say. Am I right? You, I do. I do. I forgot what I was going to say, though. It was something to you. <laughs> it was actually something to you. Um. Yeah, I want, I think I... This is something that I want people to understand too, right? Because I heard this from people, you know, there's lots of people that still think very negative of you and you rightfully earned that, you know, you Work have, hard to you, <laughs> you are definitely a professional that. asshole, uh, but I think you've gotten better as you've gotten older. And when people say to me things like, Oh, you'd be so much further if you didn't have, if you were, if you, if you just got rid of JQ and trust me, dude, there's like, the people don't know. We if I think we've had arguments. If we would have been in the same room, I w- you'd be hurt. Like, <laughs> I would have hurt you. You you would have been hurt. Like we had some uh, vicious <laughs> arguments. Like we have we've had some we've had it out. Right. You know I'm quit so many times with you because you know you just drive me crazy. But I think I'm also uh, you're my friend, right? And we've become really good friends over the years. I've learned completely. The one thing I have learned, I've learned how to work with you. And I think, I think deep down, I'm the only, one of the only few people that you actually kind of respect. Even though you talk all that shit about me. And you, but when you need a good idea, you come to Lefty, right? Or when you need some assurance, you come to Lefty. So people might be like, oh, if you just, you, JQ is holding you down. And you know what? I have kind of separated myself from you somewhat. You know, where I'm my own and where my own person, like I'm lefty on that. You know, I make my own mistakes. I make my own making my own things. Like I've gotten away from you, where I think we're I think we're equal. Like we are equal. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? You are actually fighting to remain, and I was like, no. With that's right because I was that ended, and you wanted to be a part of my archive, and I said, no, you're not. You're, you're, you have, you're lefty and you have a podcast. And you know what? That was the best. I, looking back, that was the best thing to do because I would, I would have been crazy by now. It's possible. So I, I think when people tell me that uh, JQ is hurling you back, I said, no, I said, if it wasn't for JQ, I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have. Right. 
I said that meant I said he gave me I said he gave me opportunity. He probably never thought that I was gonna stick it out, but I did. I've learned to work with you. Like whereas you know, like if if I I I fuck you off like in a heartbeat. Like if I think it's dumb or stupid, I, I tell you, right? Or if you if you're being a miserable bastard, I'd be like, yo, oh, fuck you. Like I go away. You know, I figured you out. Um, but I think you've I've taught you things, even though I'm, I'm older than you. But I've learned from you, right? I've learned a lot, and I think what I learned mostly from you is there's always a way, right? There's always a way to do it, and you have to think bigger. You oh, I just you gotta think bigger. You gotta think bigger, right? And I think I've finally got that in the last year, I would say. Um, I don't want to hear excuses, you know? That was what that big argument on Facebook was about. I don't want to hear reasons or excuses why we can't. Let's figure that out how we can. Trying to get the t- uh, pro drivers to race together more, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, for yeah. example, get Americans to go to the big races in Europe. Right. Or well, just one. Versa. I just want one for now. Just yeah. one. Just one. And that started a whole, like, I think that these racers who have put all this time, like, I, I just, you know, I just don't want, don't tell me why we can't do it. Let's figure out how we can. Because I'm going to tell you, if I would have accepted can't, I would not be here right now. I would, and I'm not in no great place. I'm not making a whole bunch of money. I'm not living some life, but I'm living my life on my terms, on my rules, how I like it. My life is not perfect. I have my issues. I have my problems. Me and my wife fight just like anybody else. You know, my, my kids are not perfect. Don't believe none of that stuff. But when I get in front of this microphone and on this camera, or at a track, all that shit goes away. All that stuff, I'm in my element. I, I um, And that's because... You gave me the opportunity. You gave you gave me the chance. Yes, I benefited you. Like you may you may talk all the shit in the world. You may talk all the shit in the world. But Mayaka wouldn't be where they are if it wasn't for the hard work that I put in 2017, 2018, 2019, along with other people. Yeah, we would be much further ahead. See, I benefited. I've benefited by getting a headache. See, that means yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I know what that means in JQ language. Yeah, absolutely right. But Mayaka would not be where it is if it wasn't for the grinding that I put in. And I don't know if people, other people, I don't, I don't almost like to say me, but I just say Brent. I would like to say Mike Hill, Mike Walker, Tony Scarsella, all these guys who have been a long time, JQ stuff. I, I appreciate all the support that I gained from JQ Racing. But if I was to ever go back to do that again, ever. Oh, I remember what I was going to say to you. If I was ever to go back to do that, right, I would have to make a living wage. Like that would be, I would stop doing the podcast. I'll probably do the podcast once a month and I would do that and it would have to be a living wage. But when people tell me like, oh, JQ, you know, he's keeping you. I said, no. I said, that man, I said, that's my boy, you know, CK Lewis. That's his name, the, the comedian, the redheaded guy, whatever. I don't know. He got in some trouble or something. I don't know what he ever done. But anyway, he had a funny joke. And he goes, you know, you just have that one friend who's an asshole. Nobody likes him. He's just an asshole. Nobody likes him. But somebody's got to be his friend. Right? And, and, and people ask you, why are you this guy's friend? 
And you're just like, somebody's got to be his friend. That's how I feel about you. You know, you're not like people think you're like, I've, I look, I had to push you a couple of weeks ago. You know what I mean? That's what friends do. I had to push you like fucking tell you, get out of stop feeling sorry for yourself. And be, yeah. You know, I had to walk you off the cliff a couple of weeks ago. Right. But I would expect you to do that for me because you're my, you're my friend. Like, and that's, and we, we, we traveled so many places together. Right. Like we traveled all around South America twice. We've had so many, we traveled across America. We've you, because of you, I've had so like my life has continued to be an adventure, but yes, I put in the work as well. Right. And because of, because of the people that support me, I've been able to do that. Support this podcast, support lefty, support what we do. Right. And I think, I think I always tell you this. You're going to get credit for all the good things you've done in RC 20 years from now. Maybe less now, because people are starting to see what you've done. People are going to look on these podcasts 25 years from now, or I'm going to be dead. And they're going to be like, wow, there's a whole history of RC from this time to this time. You know what I mean? We're gonna, they're going to have interviews with the Gandhi. They're going to have interviews with Barry Baker. And that's why I want guys like Quartz, Gerald Johns. I want to get Gerald, all these. I want to get all these old school guys in, because we got to get their stories now. Right? So people in the future can hear. And that's Along with helping to change RC, that's one of my goals. Like when it, because you know how hard it is to find anything about these guys now on the internet. It's, it's incredibly hard, you know. But maybe twenty five years from now, when RC's in a better place, and when RC's main not mainstream but on Red Bull TV, and racers are making five hundred million dollars, right? And RC's awesome. They're gonna say these two fucking idiots pushed for all that stuff. When everybody pushed against them and told them that they were dumb and they were stupid and they shouldn't do it and just go with the flow and they still fucking pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Not only did they complain and, and make grants and they offer solutions, they've done it. Why am, I, why am I happy to be a part of the coverage and live streams? Because now I can stop talking about be, it being better and be a part of it being better, right? They will say that there's two guys... Not just us, but there's other people too. I'm not, not trying to just toot our horns, but they will say, those two guys dared to push the envelope. Those two guys in the face of everybody telling them, you know, in the face when, when RC was in a spot where everybody was worried about saying the right things, and those two guys, they didn't. They weren't scared to, to say what it was. They weren't scared to tell it how it is. They weren't scared to challenge the establishment. They weren't scared to do And they did that. And I hope we make some money at this, to be honest. I really do. I really do. I hope we make some living. I hope you make a living wage. I hope I make a living wage because, and I hope anybody that works as hard as what, as, as I think we have and as passionate as we have in this industry, I hope they make a living and they thrive as well too, because this shit's hard, man. It is passion. It is fucking passion that keeps this alive. It is passion, little bit of money. And then the, the, for me, the ability to be around my family. But I think in 25, 30 years, People are going to look back because it's, it's going to be these young kids that are coming up now, right? They're kids. Like they're, they're, in a, they're in that social media thing. They're going to be talking about this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, they're going to take our ideas that we planted seeds and they're going to make them happen. Because that's, that's what's really going to happen. Look, as we recorded this, that kid, Kara, 15 years old, he's a two-time European champion. 
he could probably be three time by the time this podcast comes out. 15 years old. Second generation European champion. So I, I think what we're doing now, we probably won't ever see the benefits of it, but the people coming up behind us will. Behind us, behind us. If you have, have kids, if, I don't think my son, we'll see, he's coming with me to Wicked Week. If he likes racing, we'll get it. We'll, we'll race. But his kids, if they get into RC, like, hey, yeah, yeah, your, your daddy was, you know, your, your old man, he was, he did this back in the day, right? And then they could go look on these podcasts. My son is going to take this podcast one day, and I'm, I could die tomorrow. I could die tomorrow, but my story's out there. No. And my son could go look at this and say, yeah, my old man, he, he chased his dream. Talked he followed his dream. Huh? He talked a lot. Yeah, that too. Say. Yeah, that too. Well, he'd have to yeah. learn English too. I would say, if anything, I would hope that in the future, there would, that the change that I would want to see is that there is a world championship series. The best mm -hmm. drivers race each other multiple times a year, and there is good media coverage of that because that exists in every single other sport on the planet because that's how it works. And I cannot understand why the companies and the people in RC and even the drivers many of them, are blind to that, opposed to that. It makes absolutely zero sense to me because we all know and understand that the, whatever sport we watch, if we aren't watching the best competing against each other, it's just not as interesting. So I cannot understand why uh, it's this way in RC. So that's the change that I hope that... I would like to help. See. Yeah, uh, that's push if, forward. Yes, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. That's why I'm passionate. That's why I spent it like but it, it it aggravates me when like when these drivers who have been in this uh, this industry for so long they're like we have you have you guys have voices. Use them. Yeah. Use them. Like use them. Uh so anyway, and once again, I just have to say it because I don't want people to think I'm being ungrateful, but this is my interview, my story, what I want to say, but I fucking appreciate all the support that everybody's giving me. You know, uh, a lot of people have messaged, you know, looking forward to meeting me at Wicked Weekend. I can't wait. I love that. I love it. I can't wait. I, I think I'm hope, I think I'm going to erase every month from now to the end of the year. And I cannot wait. We need to get me to the euros, but I remember what I wanted to say, JQ. I remember what I wanted to say. Now, you said to me once, you said this to me, and it fucking irritated me. It's true, but, and you said to me once, Lefty, at JQ Racing, you're replaceable. At the podcast, you are not. You haven't replaced me at JQ Racing yet. Yeah, what do you mean? JQ Racing doesn't exist. All right, let's just say, you haven't, you haven't found another me for Mayaku yet. Yeah, we have. What are you talking about? Not in America. You, you almost understood the point of that, though. 
No, we I have, understand. We have I understand Robert, the point. we have Jared, we have Scott. You have Walker. not found another me yet. Yes, yes, we have. Who? We have. Robert is basically you. Robert, yes, he does say. a good job, but does yeah. no, Robert is you. But you missed the point of the that what I said. Because what I said is true. You had a job at JQ Racing. You were doing the sort of team managing and sales and fluffing of people, correct? That was what you were doing. If you no longer did that, we could get someone else to do that same thing. Maybe they would do it in a different way or they would reach different people, but they would fill the same function and we would continue moving on, right? Mm -hmm. But with the podcast, the non-MRC podcast is you, right? We can't, like, if you, do, if you quit tomorrow, then the podcast dies. Mm-hmm. No one can be Lefty the Great and the no-name RC podcast and do it, right? It wouldn't be the same. It would, maybe there would be another podcast one day. But you as Lefty in the no-name RC podcast, you are not replaceable in that sense. Yeah, Back I understand when that. JQ Racing was going on, I was irreplaceable. If I quit, JQ Racing would die. Mm-hmm. It just would. Because no one could do the things I was doing. I should rephrase no that. Me. Go ahead. I'll rephrase it afterwards. Go ahead. No, that's it. So my point was, you haven't found anybody to do what I done for as cheap as you fucking well paid me to do it every month. There we go. That's what I wanted to say to you. Okay. No, but seriously. Did you have a point or <laughs> what? I am not I was not easily replaced. That's my point. And still I would say that you still need somebody like me or somebody similar in America. I thought your point would be that uh, I knew you would twist it, this up. I knew you would no, twist no, all no. this shit up. I I thought your point would be that you actually understood what I said and you think that it's much more valuable and rewarding to be in a position oh, as you are now. I prefer that. I absolutely agree with you there. I think exactly. the last two years of me doing this pretty much on my own has yeah. been the most rewarding, fun, all the travel last year, all the travel this year, uh, working with new people yeah. has been probably the best two years. Don't get me wrong. That first couple of years too, traveling and all that stuff, that was fun. Driving all around America, driving all around the, that was fun, fun, fun. But this here, it's like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I love what I do. I love yeah. this stuff. And the only way to achieve that is was not to, to be. yeah. believe in yourself, take opportunities and put in the work and take on responsibility. I agree. The more that, responsibility you take on for yourself, the more things you do, the more control you have, and the more irreplaceable you are. That was the whole fucking point back then. And I'm glad that. that you almost understood it now. I will say this. You were one thing the one thing I am struggling with is my value. Because I yeah, try so to keep 20, be humble. Huh? Twenty thousand a year. Call up techno. No, 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 not that, but 
I think to keep my, I want to keep myself humble. So I, I try to, but you also have to recognize value, right? And you have to, you have to, that's just, that's some, that's something gradual that I'm, I'm getting into that I'm not getting into, but I'm starting to realize I don't want to come off cocky and like, I'm the best and daughters to, but I, I want to be like, Hey, I obviously you're the biggest. Fuck. But obviously, I I bring some value. If not, people will not ask me to come. Exactly. And I would just, I would just hope that, yeah, one day we we actually see the change. I hope we do. I hope before we die, we see that change that we want. I don't know. It seems to be. It seems to be. I hate, hate to say we can't, but it seems to be even more of a mindset towards not doing that now than it ever was, and. It's it's probably not just going to happen with these group of drivers that we have now. It's probably going to take, yeah. it's probably going to take the carps and these guys to get that ball rolling. Yeah, I think what we can do in the meantime is fix your arm because yeah, you keep saying apparently that. Apparently, that surgery isn't that expensive, so we should be able to put that together, right? Yeah, we Maybe should. Maybe even a GoFundMe or something. I mean, GoFundMe is basically health insurance for Americans, it seems. So. <laughs> Maybe we could uh, get a GoFundMe going. Maybe, but I would I would settle for just right now. My arm is not my priority. You know what I mean? I've been without it for since two thousand and not without it, but I've learned to live without it for two thousand and five. It's been it was a blessing in disguise because if it didn't happen, I would still be in Bermuda, miserable, not living my life. To the exactly. But now it's time to get it fixed. No, now it's time to buckle down and, and make some money and exactly. build a house. But that's what it is. You, that's what time you can is. make more money with two arms. So let's get my, that thing fixed. Why? Does my arm affect the way I talk? No, but it affects... Yeah, anything it can do is I'll be able to hold a different microphone like this. That's the most awkward thing. When you're holding a microphone and interviewing somebody and they come up to shake your hand, you're just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah... I would, I would, I would, I would, I, I think that this can still oh, be profitable. Cool. I just would hope, I hope it, I hope it does. I, I, I have faith that it does, <clears throat> but I, I understand how, how difficult things are right now. You know what I mean? And the industry that I think is people claim it's healthy. I think it's not as healthy as we think it is. It, I think the health of this, this industry just goes to show because we're not, we're not, Companies aren't willing to spend the money to send these drivers around, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. But that doesn't mean we stop, right? We just those next those next that next generation, them, them guys, them, these next generation of young guys, they ain't taking no shit. Like they're coming, they're kicking ass and taking names. And yeah, the the, the old dogs that have been on the porch for a long time. They're gonna have. They're gonna have to. They're either gonna have to go inside and chill out, or or they're gonna have to fight for that porch. But these young guys are coming. Kids are the future. Yeah. It, On that note, uh, we're done. Yeah, I'm muting. I have to do my spiel after this. Are you done? Yeah. Uh So anyway, guys, thank you, JQ, for your time. I appreciate that. Uh, I've been wanting to do this. <clears throat> 
I want to thank everybody that I've met, uh, everybody that has supported the No Name RC podcast, myself over the years, all the, all the JQ drivers that got me started, all the companies that have got me started. Um, just, you know, like I want to say thank you to, like I can't say thank you to everybody, but I have to say thank you to my good boy, my buddy, Mike Hill and Tony Scarsella, Mike Walker, Trent Walker, Jake Lasko, um, the guys over in England, Jeff Warner, and those guys like kind of who have been around from with me from the from the get go. Uh, Max, obviously, for all his help because he's he's filled in your spot. And oh man, I'll tell you one thing: it was really cool to see Pecco wearing a No Name RC podcast hat. But I think we jinxed him, and he was like in the D man. Um, I saw someone else also with one. On the probably screen. Miklos, one of my buddies um, over there just racing. Uh, and just all the support from around the world that I've, you know, all the, like, like this podcast is super popular in Australia. Like I didn't, you know, they had a really, that race was really good this past weekend. Uh, honestly, man, if you see me at a race, come up, introduce yourself. I, we may have talked on Facebook, but I may not recognize you. So just come up, say, Hey man, what's up? Talk. You know, I meet so many people. I want to meet more. Obviously, we cannot do this without you guys' support. I greatly appreciate it. It's been we're coming up on five years here. I want to keep it going. I want to I want to have a recap and we're at five hundred episodes, you know. And uh, we we want to we don't take anything we say personally unless we we come here because we want to see things change. And the only way you're gonna make the only way, as you say, JQ, is if we're gonna make an omelet, we have to break a few eggs. And uh, I think we've been very, we've helped change things in the last five years. And I want to continue on that. And I'm not, we're not going to get it right all the time, but I want to stop saying we can't and start saying we can, because if I can do it and I am nobody from Bermuda who has a gimp arm, who followed his dreams and left home with two suitcases and everybody told me I'd be home six months later and I'm still here. And then the same people told me not to follow you and join RC racing. Like a lot of my Bermudian friends were like, Oh, you just come home and got a real job. You ain't going to make no money in RC. You ain't going to do nothing. Yeah. Well, I'm doing something. Now you're irreplaceable lefty. Nah, everybody. You made it. Next, next comes the money. I hope so. That would help things out. That would help things out. Okay, I'm help. out of beer. So, well, yeah. thank you for your time. Thank you, everybody out there. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing my story. I know a lot of new people don't haven't heard my story. Um, I appreciate all the support. We can't do it without you guys. If you like what we do, you know what to do. Hit that, hit that like notification sub button. Share. Get this stuff. Like, let's help help us get the five thousand subs by the end of the year. That's all I would like to have happen. If you wish to support a little bit further, I greatly appreciate that too. And um, I don't know what do you go. I want to. I think I want to dabble in the bashing world. I think I do. I do. I want to enjoy RC. Trying to get a track started here too. So it's RC twenty four seven, man. Twenty four seven. JQ, thank you for your time. Thank you to all the NNRC squad. 
Thank you, everybody, for the continued support. Thank you to Invisible Speed, High Tech RC, Sampadal, Mayako, Hot Race, Sidewinder, Beach RC, Clinic RC, Techno RC, Stacked RC, Ignite Design RC, Racecraft USA, House of RC. Shout out to Robert Battier, David Ronafalk, Sweet 23 times Swedish national champion, too. Uh, Florida RC Championships, WRCE, Alexander Hagberg, Jared Tebow, and everybody. I will see you guys all at Wicked Weekend. I have stickers. Come see me. Thank you guys for the support. I love you. One love. And uh, let's make RC better together. With that said, you got to say it. You got to say the outro, dude. What's the outro? Lefty. That'll be JQ and Lefty. Oh, Nitro's the glory. E-Buggy pays the bills. If you ain't grinding, you're sliding. Nitro's the glory. E-Buggy doesn't pay hardly any bills. JQ out. You are out of your mind. That's for sure.